You're listening to the Plane Talking UK podcast, the UK-based podcast written by a passenger for anyone. And here are your hosts, Carlos Devings, Matt Smith and Neville Bounds. Well, hello and welcome to episode number 189 of the Plane Talking UK podcast. I'm Carl Stebbings and joining me live in the kitchen studio this week is well, my co-host Matt Smith. As opposed to unlive, I as suppose. As opposed yeah. to unlive. On tape, yeah. I okay, know, yeah, yeah. I know. Uh, hello everyone, hello, welcome. Hello. How are we all? Uh, he's a little stressed at the moment. Why are you stressed, Matt? Because I'm getting on an aeroplane in a very short period of time. It is I actually am a very short time. to the States. He's off to New York, guys and girls. Yeah, Mr. Absolutely. Smith is off to yes. New York yes. for, for well, it's, it's business. It is actually business. I am actually going there, believe it or not, to, to work. My new job is flying me and the boss and, and my, my colleague Charlotte, uh, who is the other boss. And we're all off to New York to a uh, vet show, a, veterinary, a veterinary show. Is there going to be animals uh, well, I hope not. No, okay. absolutely. No, we, we we tend to deal with them with afterwards. Okay, uh, with okay. what we sell. Okay. But anyway, enough of that. All right. So, <laughs> so you're you're going out there for yes. for, but you're also going to hopefully meet up with some of our listeners. And yeah, absolutely. Some, uh, fellow APGers, I Indeed, think. Indeed, yes. I think um, uh, David Abbey and and that uh, Micah. I'm hopefully meeting when I get there. Ooh, and lucky uh, you. Owen's already there. Uh, so meeting Owen when we uh, get there. In fact, I've got yeah. a piece from Owen later on uh, while he was in the Dublin. Uh, air lounge, I think, waiting oh, for his flight. So, uh, good, good. Like so that. yes, very exciting. Uh, and uh, yes, lots of people asking me in the ch- in the chat room, am I going on a seven five seven? No, no, I am not. <laughs> not in a million years will no. you ever find me on a seven five seven ever again. Uh, no, I'm going on a seven six seven this time. So he it's is. the bigger one with he the three is. seats and the two, you know yeah. two other sides. So it, it wide body. To that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. he's yeah. going to be be spoiled. I think this time. Yes, yes. Uh, let's hope. Let's hope hopefully. so. Yes. And I am well. I've got my suitcases down. I yes. haven't packed yet, right. but uh, we will be off to Dubai next Thursday. Flying next Thursday. It's very strange. We're so we're so Night like time. jet set this week. I know. It's just I know. <laughs> but that does mean that next week we are we're gonna. Well, we're still trying to plan exactly how we're gonna run a show next week. We will still bring out a show. Don't panic, everyone. We yep. still we're, we're still working out the final points. We're trying yeah, to uh, find out exactly yeah. how we are gonna uh, do. A live show. So, uh, did, did you not have your phone on? Sorry, no, Carlos. I didn't, did no. you not? Right. Okay. And I shall, <laughs> I shall shout at whoever just try yeah. to find anyway, me. Carry on. Yeah. Oh, oh, it's it's Sky. Oh, it's an 0800 it's spam. Oh, is it? Yeah, it's okay. Sky. Right. Anyway, Sky. moving on. So, moving on. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, getting back to the show. Yes. We do have a very special guest indeed joining uh, us on the show tonight. It's, it's his first time on the show. And uh, he is uh, the guy who puts together some amazing, actually amazing, classic airliner DVDs. Uh, he runs his own company, Avion, uh, which uh, produces these amazing DVDs using archive footage of uh, some pretty f- amazing and fabulous jets and prop liners from around the world from days gone by using cinefilm, of all things. How so, lovely. I mean, you know, for me... Oh, I can't, I can't remember Cinefilm. I think I go back as far as uh, the Sony Video 8 tapes, I think. If I, I can't remember. Oh, That's yeah, me. Right, okay. So uh, we're going to welcome on to this show and uh, I'll give a warm welcome from the chat room to Howard Asbridge. Thanks very much. Hello, everybody. And how are you, Howard? Are you, uh, are you well? Fine, fine. Um, I, I'm waiting to see myself appear on the YouTube screen. <laughs> so very blue on your TV. Yeah. But, oh, no, there we are. Yeah, I'm, I'm, 
That's good. See, this uh, sorry this... about the cardboard boxes behind me, folks. But uh, if you haven't bought all the DVDs, they've got to go somewhere. Well, that's true. Yes. See, this <laughs> this is the problem that I'm going to be up against with this show because we actually have somebody who knows what they're doing when it comes to cameras <laughs> and all this kind of thing. Not not the amateur that is me trying to set it all up here in the studio. So yes, it's uh, unfortunately because we're using Skype. Obviously, we can't quite get the images that one would hope um, from. But we are working. Uh, yeah. Thanks thanks to your marvelous uh, Patreon donations, we have actually got a new system that's uh, going to be going in place in the next few weeks once I get back from my holidays basically oh, uh, my work related trip sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we have got uh, we've got loads of news and stuff to we get have. through but uh, later on in the show uh, after the various segments we've got from Nev and we've also got one from mm. uh, yes. Owen as well and a bit from Micah we're going to have a good chat with Howard mm. yeah. and Howard's going to explain to us the oh, finer yeah. details yeah. as to how he puts these DVDs crazy, together because they are amazing awesome. uh, and uh, for those of you who do follow us on Facebook I did put the links mm. on the Facebook uh, page uh, to take you across to to Howard's mm. website, so you can yep. see the uh, the bits and pieces on there and, and look at what he does. Everybody's asking me in the chat room, by the way, what what flight am I going on? And for, oh. for all those wanting to stalk <laughs> me, I think it's the I think it's the I think it's UA fifteen. Yes, and uh, yes, it's that that is my outbound flight there. And it's not just a seven <laughs> six seven, but a four hundred a dash four hundred for Matt. Is a dash four hundred good? I don't know. What the, what's that? The the seven six seven dash four hundred. Oh, the four hundred is good. Yeah, yeah Delta. Yeah, very good. Oh, yeah. oh, really? Oh, oh excellent. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank goodness for that. It, it's as close as you can get to triple seven. Oh, okay. yeah, basically. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> anyway, should we do some news? Um, <laughs> well, before we start, we're going to have a quick apologies from of Nev because yeah. uh, Nev couldn't be on the show this week. Yeah, uh, because he's got Nev birthday is, leave. Basically. He's got birthday yeah. leave. <laughs> we we thought we'd give Nev a, a week off because he had uh, his time. And uh, for yes. business, he went. He did, yes, but yes. He's on holiday now with yeah. Miss Neb, trying Neb. desperately not yeah. to get stabbed. I think where he was <laughs> last yeah. week, by the sound of it. But, but uh, he's in yeah. better climbs. He's in Tenerife, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah. Forto yeah. Forto Ventura. Forto Ventura. Yeah, that's yeah, it. Yeah. So, uh, so hello to you, Nev. If you are watching yep. or listening, hello to you, Nev. Hope you're having a lovely holiday with Mrs. Nev, mm. and we look forward to having you back on the show soon next week, hopefully. So, because I might not be here. Yeah, you might not be here. Quick update for those of you guys who might be attending. At the 200th show, which Ooh, is yes. next year on the 20th of January, all the places for the 200th show ha- are now full. Are they? Yeah. Okay. So uh, I know we had one left, but that's obviously yeah, gone that's in the gone. week. Is it? We oh, okay. uh, we have filled all 30 places yep. for the 200th show. So um, that's good mm. news. Uh, unfortunately, if you've if missed the um, missed the <laughs> time, <laughs> Lane Street says pish posh. Uh, Nev is busy recuperating from all that Brazilian rum. No, probably. <laughs> <isn't>. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we, we've got that to look forward to next yes, year. I'm really yeah. looking forward to the 200 show. We've it's got, be good. Uh, we've got yeah. some people flying in from all around the world. We have the states and all sorts. Yeah, 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 yeah. So anyway, so we are going to start the show then, as we do each week with our rundown of the weekly news from around the world and the UK. So if you're ready, mate, I am. Yes, and if you're ready, Howard. Sure. Let's go. <laughs> So, kicking off this week's first news story, this one is on the CNBC.com website. And the headline is, Forget Your Checked Luggage, 
this airline is weighing passengers. So Finnair is conducting voluntary weigh-ins at its Helsinki airport. As you do. As you do. <laughs> and they're asking for volunteers uh, not to take a la- later flight, but uh, to step on a scale before boarding the plane. The Finnish airline told CNBC that it has asked around 180 passengers to weigh in before flights from Helsinki airport this week, and it needs about 2,000 travellers to get an accurate read on passengers' weights and their carry-ons. The study will continue through to spring 2018 and Finnair said because it wants to collect data when travellers are carrying heavy winter coats and when they are travelling lighter in warmer weather. The information will be kept anonymous, the airline has said. The aim of the weigh-ins, which might be more familiar to travellers who have flown on small aircraft, is to update nearly a decade-old data on average passenger weights as it expands its uh, route networks and it needs to accurately forecast payloads and how much fuel it requires. Uh, They say we have a strong safety culture at Finnair and are also very data-driven organisations, so we want to ensure we have the best possible data in our uh, use for the aircraft performance and loading calculations, Finnair said. The airline said it, uh, like other carriers using European safety agency data from 2009, which lists a standard weight including carry-on luggage, this is including carry-on luggage, for Mm. a male passenger at 88 kilograms or 194 pounds or 70 kilograms 154 pounds uh, for a female passenger and 35 kilograms or 77 pounds for a child wow that yeah. definitely needs updating uh, yeah i mean there, there is a the, there is a scary thing um that uh, I, I don't know is this because uh, did you say it was 90 kilos or something what was what was considered the the average for average for a male 88 kilos yeah i mean that's yeah. that, that probably including let's, carry-on luggage. let's be honest we're all perhaps carrying a little bit more <laughs> weight than we should be these days i wonder yeah, yeah I, I can see why they're why they're updating it yeah thin air jenny is suggesting as one way of, uh, <laughs> of rebranding said airline i like that uh yes yeah, so this is good i think uh, when you see the size of some of the carry-ons that people take on board yeah. the aircraft they yeah. probably weigh a person a per- yeah <laughs> absolutely yeah, yeah. yeah i think the italians are quite famous for for being very precious about their luggage from- that. we've got jenny in the chat no room. i know well, no she's not she's you know she just lives there she's she's a norfolk girl through and through <laughs> that's what it is yeah. what do you think of this then howard are, are you a regular traveler on uh, on aircraft do you uh, take a large carry-on or small carry-on case i think it doesn't matter how often you go on an aircraft you you're all there you're ready to go the door's not shut and then someone will come on and try and get something the size of a, <laughs> a sort of camping fridge and instead of taking them away and putting both them and the fridge in the hold yeah they then rearrange the entire overhead to try and get it in yeah um, and, it, and you know seriously when you're in the queue uh, you're just amazed at mm. the stuff. I mean, my wife and I are so law-abiding, you know, we kind of measure the <laughs> yeah. thing. She doesn't know whether she can take a handbag as well as a carry-on and, and so on. And then you, you've got someone in front, front of you with a rucksack that can yeah. hold, you know, a family of four. Yeah, this is it. <laughs> and, of course, I know, I know from conversations we've had with, uh, we're lucky enough that we have several sort of friends of the show who are sort of cabin crew and pilots. And one of the things that they always say is the delays that are caused by by people trying to get these oversized, bag, oversized bags on and things. I mean, it's just, if, as you say, if we were all as law-abiding as Howard and, and then his wife, basically, I don't think any of these delays would would exist really i mean you're very good aren't you carlos because you're forever weighing your stuff before you oh, go 
I, I've got a set of digital scales yeah. which I you just literally weigh the case and hand luggage case yeah. whenever we go. Yeah, yeah, this is yeah. it. It's... Or you can go back to the Russian system, where I think it was the IL sixty two, or no, the IL eighty six had a room in which the passengers deposited their luggage, their their carry on. <laughs> so <laughs> they were used to people carrying huge amounts of stuff. There was a separate part of the plane that you put your uh, your hand luggage in. Yeah, I'm, I, sure, I, I'm sure it was the eighty six. And it it it's, it it makes makes sense really, doesn't it? I don't know. It's just, it's just it's just. We're, we're just we're just not very good at doing as we're told, I think, really. But I, I can't. I mean, it's it's raising lots of questions about you know, sort of secretly weighing everyone before you know. He's like, we'll weigh you, but we won't tell. But anyone. they do. They, but, it is know. true. The story's right. They do need to update these. They uh, do. These yeah, figures because these are very old figures, aren't they? Yeah. 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 This makes perfect sense. Anyway, we'll move on to the next, next story. story. Now. This, this is a, this is a good news story for you. For a change. Right. For a I'll, change. I'll be the judge of that. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, this is uh, on the independent.co.uk. So it is for a change. A quality news newspaper and uh, it's story two as it always seems to be is a Ryanair story and the headline is Ryanair passenger numbers increased by 8% year on year in October despite cancelling thousands of flights. Ryanair saw passenger traffic increase by 8% year on year in October despite cancelling thousands of flights in September. Last month 11.8 million customers used the airline up to 10.9 million in October 2016 it announced on Thursday. Meanwhile this load factor a measurement of how full planes are was up by 1% year-on-year to 96%. That's a crazy payload, isn't it? 96% of all flights full. That's brilliant. Ryanair's chief marketing officer, Kenny Jacobs, sigh, uh, said the figures take into account the flight cancellations that were announced in September. Around 20,000 flights were stopped due to a pilot rostering failure. That's an interesting way of putting it, a pilot rostering failure. Uh, the company's annual traffic to October also grew 12% uh, to 128.2 million customers, while a perfect storm of one-off pilot shortages cost Ryanair 25 million euros, or 22 £22 million sterling. That really shows how bad our exchange rate is at the moment, doesn't it? In compensation payments, it enjoyed strong half-year results. On Tuesday, it posted an 11% rise in net profit for the first half of 2017. It said it's forecast for full year profit after tax for the year end of March 2018 is at least £1.4 billion. Euros, so I think it's safe to say that they're doing rather well. I think even <laughs> after even after the uh, the, the, the issues yeah. they, that Ryanair had yeah. early this year, mm. it just goes to prove that uh, it, it doesn't really make any difference. No, it doesn't. It no. doesn't. At the end of the day, it's just one of those things, isn't it? It's Have you had the chance to fly uh, Ryanair, Howard? Uh, I think I have, yes. Uh, I tend to go more easy jet than yeah, uh, Ryanair. Okay. Mm. But I think in some ways we kind of feel, oh, we've, we've lost the romance of air travel. But yeah. in a way, we sort of still expect it a bit. If you'd yeah. taken the story with the pilot shortage and made that, I don't know, network rail yeah. or, or National Express, you know, a coach without the wings, you wouldn't really have been that fussed about it. No. No, and I, right. I think what you've got here is is a, a near monopoly, or in fact an actual monopoly in lots of yeah. routes. And um, you know they they fouled up over the pilots, uh, but then that's really a reflection of a worldwide shortage. You know? Agreed. Um, and and at the end of the day, that their scale of operation is such that uh, I think that the total cost to them is is over a hundred million euros. I seem to have read somewhere recently. But um, it, it, 
it doesn't make any difference if you're turning in over a billion euros profit. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the share price hasn't really been that effective, I don't do, think. Do you know, this is the one thing, when all this is kicking off, actually, and I, I said to one of my friends, because uh, he, he, he does a little bit of stocks and shares and things, and I was saying to him, you should really sort of just keep a, a close eye on Ryanair's share price, because if it does go down, obviously, you know, whatever's going on, Ryanair will bounce back. It's not like they're about to go under as a result of all these things, because it's just such a yeah. huge airline now. And he... I mean, he was watching the figures and he said it literally didn't even move half a percentage point the whole time. It just remained solid, their, whole, their share price throughout the whole, whole debacle. The thing I regret is not buying um, IAG's shares immediately <laughs> after the Brexit decision because they crashed. Or went down a lot anyway. Yeah. And now IAG's profits are, are massive and, really? and the share price has gone up incredibly. Yeah, you see, it's yeah, it's, uh, it's this is the thing. I mean, obviously, we there are there have been sad stories uh, of later. I mean, I use Monica, Monica as an example, sure. but uh, you know, it, it is very unusual for for the uh, you know the airline industry to you know have problems of this nature. Anyway, we shouldn't really talk about share prices. We're supposed to be talking about aviation. Not where I got any shares anyway. Yeah, no, no indeed. Yeah, nobody could get any when they when they were going cheap. So it's well, like complaining about winning the lottery when you don't buy the ticket. <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely. I did. I brought a lucky dip ticket yeah. today. You, yeah, yeah, you always do the lottery. I know. Yes. So moving on to the next story, and Howard, this one is all for you. Thanks. This is um, a story on uh, inc.com, but actually uh, I've come across it in, in other places too. And the kind of headline is shock horror, Emirates removing first class from their A380s. They're going to be carrying 615 people. But when you get down to it, uh, actually all they're doing is uh, quite sensible. They've got a lot of demand from the UK to Dubai around the Christmas period, and they are removing first class from some planes for some flights uh, over that time, and presumably going to put them back afterwards. So um, it uh, uh, must be a bit annoying for their PR people, but this really isn't. Um, anything more than um, just um, straightforward economics. Mm. This is true. It's, because um, the, the capacity on the 380s is obviously huge. If you take out mm. the first class and business class seats... Yeah. Um, I, think it, I think it's about 490. Uh, in a kind of, I mean, there isn't such a thing as a standard configuration, is there? Because some of them have got a shop and uh, mm. all sorts of stuff. But uh, I think it's around that. So, um, yeah, it, I mean, it, it makes sense. Uh, but uh, it, it isn't uh, <laughs> the end of first class on Emirates A380s. By no, Emirates. indeed. Because it is nice. <laughs> is it? Well, as I say, as, uh, you, those of you watching yeah. the YouTube uh, video will actually see uh, uh, oh, Jennifer the Aniston. Jennifer Aniston yes, the very yeah. famous Jennifer yeah. Aniston video showing us how it's uh, how it's meant to be done. Yeah, but that, that's something that we just don't experience, Matt, in economy. No, no, you know. no. You yeah. said, so when, when, when you said it is nice you didn't mean you've been there you, you're not no. in the background on that video <laughs> no, it's wish. just you've watched the video yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. no yeah. I, 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 I believe anything you see in a video <laughs> well, I, I can yeah, I can put my hand up and say that, that Emirates business business class is nice now who, now, who was it tried. who is it that Dr. Steph flew with oh she was in Dr. Business. Steph she's in the chat room actually oh, Dr. Steph yeah, flew she'll tell us 
Doctor Stephanie business with I can't remember who it was now. She'll probably say in the chat room because that looked pretty. But that looked really really nice. Absolutely. Actually, I might just just point out that Doctor Steph is at work at the moment. Is she? Yeah, and she's watching. So she's saving saving many patients' lives whilst watching the drivel that we're putting out. Right. Okay. Good. Good. But yeah, but remember, I'm a bit disappointed by the way because I'm going to be in New York. Oh, Etihad. My apologies. Yes, I'm a bit disappointed because she's not running the the New York Marathon, and I'm going to be there watching it. I mean, honestly, how rude. Anyway, yes, sorry. Okay. <clears throat> anyway, <laughs> enough of my first world of, problems. Eh? I know. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I do plan on winning the lottery this weekend. So, oh, um, oh, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, you know, bear, bear us poor mere mortals in, in mind. I'm sure, I'm sure Howard will be up for a bit of a first class somewhere as well, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, treat, nice. I'll treat you to premium economy on the way home, Matt. Oh, that's oh, very yeah. generous okay. of you. I don't, know, I don't know how you live or sleep at night. Anyway. Anyway, yeah. the, next, uh, the next story is on the usatoday.com site. The headline. United's new 18-hour flight is longest ever by U.S. airline. Mm-hmm. So this is one of uh, Brian Coleman's favourite airlines here, United Airlines. Hey, don't, we're not being horrible about them, are we? Because I'm no. flying on one of these tomorrow. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, and for anyone who works for United, uh, Matt is travelling with you tomorrow. And this no, story, don't, don't tell them anyway, that. <laughs> anyway, uh, United Airlines is now flying the longest regularly scheduled route ever flown by a U.S. carrier, and one that is a contender for the title of the world's longest flying. Really, time. Oh. the Chicago-based airline officially claimed those superlatives late Friday when it launched a non-stop service on the 8,700-mile route connecting Los Angeles and Singapore. By distance, it's not the world's longest, but it's close. Uh, Qatar Airways, or Qatar, you know, the usual routine we go through. <laughs> Which Qatar, one of Qatar, uh, yeah. uh, 9,032 miles, and Emirates Dubai Auckland route. At 8,819 miles remain the two longest as measured by the most direct non-stop routing between the cities served. By scheduling flying time, however, United's LAX Singapore is perhaps the world's longest. Facing typical strong headwinds on the westbound route, United's flight in the direction of Singapore has a whopping scheduled flying time of 17 hours and 55 minutes. Wow. That tops Qatar Airways, or Qatar Airways, published flying time of 17 hours and 40 minutes. You realise we're going to get emails from Grant now, aren't we? <laughs> For its 9,032-mile flight from Auckland to New Zealand and Doha and Qatar. Oh, Qatar. Oh, really? A route that currently is regarded as the world's longest time. United's eastbound return to LA is scheduled for 15 hours and 15 minutes. So they've obviously got a bit of a tailwind on the way home. Uh, the Singapore-LA route is one of several ultra-long haul routes announced by United during the past two years. Uh, prior to Friday's launch of LA-Singapore flights, Qantas, uh, their 8,500-mile route between Dallas-Fort Worth and Sydney had been the longest flight to or from the U.S. Mm-hmm. Among its uh, domestic arri- uh, rivals, United already flew the longest non-stop route of any U.S. airline uh, with an 8,446-mile route from San Francisco to Singapore that began in du- June 2016. Um, so the route is going to be flown by Dreamliner, obviously. You know, they've got to have, have a decent aircraft on that route. Uh, as opposed to an Airbus. <coughs> anyway, um, so I actually, I do believe, I listened to the Airplane Geeks last show, and I think that Brian Coleman is taking this flight. 
Is he? So it'll be interesting to see how he gets on. Okay. Yeah. Oh, well, as I say, what listen, listen to the airplane geeks to uh, yeah to see find how he got more. on. Yeah we, yeah, we might have to have a chat with, with Brian. I oh, actually Nev could do a passenger experience with Brian he to could. see how yes. how where, how he got on with this flight. Absolutely. But eighteen hours, it wouldn't bother me, mm. as we've said before on the show, Matt. I don't uh, no, think you're right. Thanks. No, no, I don't. I, I'm all right. Thanks. Yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll live. And I think we all agreed before that an 18-hour flight in first class or business would probably that be, would be good. fine. Yeah, I think I think even I could handle it. Anyway, moving on uh, to the next story, and uh, this is on the Metro. The headline is: Unaccompanied girl seven managed to slip through security and board an EasyJet flight. A seven-year-old girl who had run away from home managed to slip through airport security to board an EasyJet flight. Uh, the girl slipped away from her parents' house in Geneva before catching a one-stop train to Geneva Airport at around 1.30pm on Sunday. Although she was unaccompanied and did not have a ticket, the young child made it through security. The girl, who was wearing a blue jacket uh, during her daring runaway, was reported missing by her father as soon as she realised she wasn't home. A search was launched in the local area and police were able to track the girl's movements via CCTV. The child was able to go through security and the lounge before sneaking through the departure gate and onto EasyJet flight EZS-1305 to Ajaco in France. Wow. A spokesperson for EasyJet told the Metro.co.uk that EasyJet can confirm that an unaccompanied child incorrectly boarded... <laughs> incorrectly, <laughs> incorrectly boarded. Incorrectly boarded. Flight EZS1305 from Geneva to uh, France on Sunday, the 29th of October. The crew correctly identified the girl should not have been on board and immediately reported it to the police. We have taken this up with Geneva Airport and an investigation has been launched. EasyJet works closely with all of our airports to ensure the safety and security of all our passengers and staff. The safety and well-being of our passengers and crew is always EasyJet's number one priority. So actually, I mean, we're, we're, we're having a laugh at the EasyJet's expense, but actually credit to EasyJet for realising, because otherwise, that could, I mean, that'd be a very different story if she had actually got to France before somebody... It's just the way it says she, yeah. she incorrectly, incorrectly boarded. boarded yeah. So what, did she yeah. sort of access the aircraft via the uh, the undercarriage well, well who or, knows um, I mean I said climbed up through the thing <laughs> through the APU <laughs> <laughs> as you do what do you reckon about this one Howard uh, yeah I think it's snuck on rather than yeah. incorrectly boarded yeah. would, uh, <laughs> would cover that yeah. um, but it does happen doesn't it not so much that but people with a ticket to somewhere that's got a, almost the same name as somewhere else mm. yeah that's yeah, being true served by the same airline at the same time get on a flight and find themselves in, in I can't think of two cities with the same name for no. the life of me but you know what I mean they end up in Atlanta instead of Berlin or whatever well of course um, there is and, uh, it's just people are processing so much stuff all the time mm. that uh, you know the, the the human brain overrides the system and let, lets people through when the computer says no. Yeah, I, my my concern really this this is my my concern really is more with the airports. I mean, because obviously it's that system that that's sort of allowed her to get that far, if you like, and get airside before before she was picked up. I mean, it's as you say. I spoke. You know, we we aren't I, we aren't I, all I understand she was not very tall. Um, right. and yeah. was able to sort of go through small a small gap. Right, it, yeah, fair point. Literally in security. Yeah. Well, they, these di- between two cupboards. Like passport control and things, I mean, they all sit in these quite yeah. tall booths, don't they? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, as you I mean say, if, you've, if, you've if, got if it's a crowded and area yeah. and stuff, I mean, yeah. I guess it would be very easy to sort of uh, get away with sort of slipping through I'd love through to the be net. a small child again. 
Yeah, because I'd, days be, of being I'd, be, small, no. I'd be running on, to, on board aircraft. No, your your days of being a small child are well and truly <laughs> past you, I feel. Oh, okay. Uh, anyway, on to the next story. This one is with uh, you, Howard. Sure. This, it's another EasyJet one, um, but it, actually it's really about Air Berlin. This is on the BBC News uh, on the 30th of October. And uh, EasyJet are buying up bits of Air Berlin that are at uh, Tegel. I think I've got that right. I hope so. In Berlin. Uh, landing slots and leases for uh, 25 A320s. They're also taking on, um, and the quote here is, a thousand German pilots and cabin crew. Now, what you can't work out is the balance between pilots and cabin crew from that, but it'd be quite interesting if they've hired more pilots than they need for 25 A320s, because given Ryanair's current problems, that would be quite a smart move, really. Well, yeah. I think... I think what this is really about is the kind of thing that should happen with insolvencies where the whoever's dealing with it is selling off the assets as they can because mm. um, somebody, oh, the um, Lufthansa has already bought uh, the, Austra- the Aus- Austrian uh, element, Nikki, haven't they? Um, mm. And, um, you know, that, that's how it goes. The people who must be feeling sore are Etihad, who, uh, according to this item, have declared they won't be providing any further financial support. Uh, oh. I'm not surprised. No, no but, I bet. Uh, the airline did get a loan from the government, German government, to carry on operating. And I, I was looking at the figures, and in 2016, uh, they carried nearly 28 million passengers. So wow. it's quite a big operation. I mean, compared with EasyJet, which is around about 74 million for the same time, mm. obviously much bigger. But nevertheless, um, something like that folding uh, puts Monarch in a <laughs> different part of the world, yeah. the, the yeah, isn't it, really? Yeah, very much so. So anyway, EasyJet... Sh- Shares. Uh, why am I doing, doing shares all the time? I haven't got any shares. <laughs> uh, I'm just jealous. They're, yeah. They've risen. I didn't buy any of these either. No. <laughs> uh, by 1.32%. This is very bad. Or very good if you've got them. Well, yeah, absolutely. Anyway, that's a story. It is, yeah. It's. It's. Uh, I mean, I, I suppose... It's. I think the one thing that we've learnt from from like as you say, like the monarch thing, for example, when airlines have have become insolvent, and actually there there does seem to be a lot of support that's made available to, um, that you know, like by other airlines to try and get people like reemployed pretty quickly, um, as you say, because there are there are mm-hmm. cabin crew shortages, there are pilot shortages. Yeah. Um. I suppose. I suppose you 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 worry as to whether the market is then suddenly flooded with people, and it's bad news for new people who are training and things i don't know sure. but um you know it's it's never good news when an, an airline goes down is it really yeah i was just looking at some of the stats on the um on on the line on the website that i use here to find a few details out mm. and uh it just it's just come up here that 25 of the airbus um a320s have been transferred over to easyjet right okay yeah very mm. good um, and there's a mixture, really, that Lufthansa have purchased some, Austrian Airlines have purchased some, mm. and also Eurowings have also purchased some right. of those aircraft. So Very good. Go. Very good indeed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So moving on to the next story, and this one is on the NBA.com. Bit of a picture story, this one, if Matt can bring is, is it on the a, screen. Is this like a, like a bas- NBA? Isn't that basketball? <laughs> it does sound like basketball. Yeah, it does. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, um, this uh, this is a, there's a good picture for this one. But anyway, this the headline is airline says that uh, bird is likely cause of damage to Oklahoma City Thunder charter plane. 
Uh, this, uh, this story came on early this week in the news, and Delta Airlines says a charter flight carrying the Oklahoma City Thunder from Minneapolis to Chicago apparently encountered a bird strike uh, early on Saturday when it was landing, causing damage that prompted some players to post photos on social media showing the caved-in nose cone of the plane. My goodness me, that now I've just put that picture up if you are watching on YouTube. This is... Uh, that's quite, that is that, that's not a starling. No, I don't think that's a starling. Or a sparrow. That's, no, that's quite that's quite serious damage there. I think that's uh, I don't know. Did did he run into a building? <laughs> I mean, I don't. So that's really. So bright. they posted these uh, pictures on Twitter as Matt's shown on the screen. And Delta Airlines spokeswoman Elizabeth Wolf said maintenance was evaluating the situation, and that the damage <laughs> was likely was damaged. Likely was damaged caused by a bird. She said the Boeing seven five seven two hundred landed safely uh, without incident at Chicago's Midway International Airport. In, uh, a spokesperson for the uh, team told the Oklahoma newspaper that all of its players and staff and coaches were safe. Uh, the, Thunder, the Thunder team lost uh, to the Minnesota Timberwolves 119-116 to 116 right, okay. on Friday night. Well, Who we really would have thought to know that, that you would ever be reading out a sports oh, bulletin? It's the yeah. first time this will ever happen, <laughs> I can tell you now. I'm amazed. <laughs> wow. But, uh, <laughs> you it's heard safe. it here first, ladies and gentlemen. I know. Basketball it, at that. Wow. <laughs> it, given the choice between football or basketball, oh, I'd watch basketball. Yeah, anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. back to story. Uh, it's safe to say that that is, um, that is quite a well-damaged nose cone. Uh, it is, yes. And uh, you've got to bear in mind that behind that nose cone, there is a radar Ooh. that uh, obviously is used by the mm. aircraft for uh, various functions, which uh, most people yeah. know. So, um, yes. But it's obviously, this has happened quite a lot. There's been quite a few, for those of you who do watch or look at the uh, brilliant website, the Aviation Herald, yes. um, there's quite a few incidents with bird strikes on there yeah. with, uh, with similar kind of pictures and outcomes. Indeed. So, uh, yeah, it's mm. not... Not, uh, not the first time this has happened. So moving on to the next story, and uh, this one's for you, Matt, and this is especially a, a kind of, you know, yeah, in just honor for Nev. Of Nev in honor, honor of here. Nev not <laughs> being here with okay. us tonight. So this is on the Air Transport World website, so there's atwonline.com, and the headline is British Airways Cabin Crew Settle Dispute. This is great news, I suppose, uh, for all BA passengers, I think, and crew. Uh, one of the longest-running industrial disputes in the UK aviation history has been resolved after British Airways cabin crew voted to accept a pay increase. The dispute, which began in December 2016 and led to more than 80 days of strikes of steadily increasing length, involved mixed fleet staff who worked on both short and long-haul services from London Heathrow Airport. Mixed fleet staff makes up around 15% of BA's cabin crew. Uh, at the outset of the industrial action, BA said mixed fleet staff typically earned 21000 to £27,000 sterling. Uh, that's twenty. to uh, $35,700 annually. Uh, Unite uh, Trade Union disputed this, saying salaries were as low as $12,000 plus £3 an hour flying pay, taking the total to around about £16,000. While the pay demands are largely resolved by mid-2017, the union members refused to return to work because of what they described as sanctions by BA against strikers, including removal of staff travel benefits. 
Unite said uh, on the 31st of October that members had un- overwhelmingly voted to accept a pay deal that would give them salary increases of 1,404 to £2,908 in sterling by March 2018. The deal also saw travel concessions and entitlements to fully participate in the airline's 2017 bonus scheme returned to cabin crew who took industrial action. A great deal of credit should go to Unite members for their shop stewards uh, in British Airways mixed fleet for their determination and solidarity in securing this settlement. United, uh, sorry, Unite General Secretary Len McCluskey said the uh, British Airways. Yep, I'm really doing a very bad job today, aren't I? I'm so sorry. Uh, British Airways, which maintained that services were largely unaffected during the strike, and the carrier had that the bought in wet leased aircraft from other airlines to plug holes in schedules. They said that they were very pleased that the dispute has finally been resolved. I bet they are. Yeah, so it's good news, I suppose, really. Good it is news. good news, yep. yeah. We, we don't like disputes with airlines, especially no, especially when they're our, our own flag carrier, well, British Airways. That is true, yes. Yes. Have you had any uh, good flights of BA? Have you flown BA before, Howard? Yeah, I, I always liked to fly BA when I was working abroad because when you get on the plane to go home, it's like you're already... You're not there, but you know what I mean. It, it's you're you're back home in the UK as soon as you go do, do you on know, board. Actually, and, uh, I, I had a chat yeah. with um, Owen because I was asking because he he's flown out to uh, New York with Aer Lingus, and he do you know he said exactly the same thing for him as an Irishman. It was exactly the same. Yeah. It's like yeah. when you get on the aeroplane in Newark and you're coming back to in his case Dublin. He said you get on on Aer Lingus and you do literally feel like you've just you've already stepped into into the Republic of Ireland in his case, mm. and and it's nice to think that that BA has that same sort of feel, I suppose, because it is such an it's like such an easily identifiable uniform, isn't it? I mean, you, you, British, you can spot British Airways cabin crew a mile off, can't you? And it's just so you don't think Howard that BA have lost their touch then, because we have covered stories in the last I, few months that they've kind I think of cut that's back. A, that's an interesting question because their current sort of changes in in marketing if you like seem to be focused on withdrawing benefits from you know high fare paying passengers you pay for marks and spencer sandwiches that kind of stuff um which all makes sense if you are an lcc full stop Mm. but their heritage their brand their profile is more than that so um i'm sure they know what they're doing but in some ways it does seem quite confusing as a consumer that you you've got yes ba you know everyone knows what it stands for and yet they the experience you're getting is being to some degree deliberately downgraded mm. yeah this is true well nev our our resident uh, other other host of the show howard he is uh, he is ba through and through nev yeah yeah, yeah he uh, Every, everything BA. Yes. If you cut him, he bleeds red, white, and blue, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I love him too. I kind of guess, you know, just it's, it's a case of where will they end up? I mean, yeah. it's certainly that as a group, the IAG group is getting it right. They've mm. gone through some difficult times, um, they, you know, when they took on Iberia and, and so on. But uh, uh, as, as an, an enterprise, uh, as an organisation, they, they seem to be doing very well indeed. Mm. So let's assume they know more about it than we do. Well, yes, let, 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 let's indeed hope. Always say, always say. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> this is what we like to think. So yeah. moving on then to uh, to our penultimate story then on this yeah. uh, segment for this week. And this one is on the Toronto Sun. Oh, that's one for me, isn't it? Yes. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, Howard, yeah. 
Yeah, this is um, uh, an old chestnut in a way. This is the <laughs> how to get an upgrade. It's it's oh. urban myth time. Um, and everyone knows someone who just stood there and suddenly was in first class. Uh, what the, the, the newspaper is saying is, in fact, it doesn't work like that. That airlines, uh, quite logically, when they've got a need to upgrade because they've got too many people in the economy and they haven't filled the business or first class seats, they look at who's on their list and those who've got uh, the most uh, frequent flyer points uh, or loyalty cards or whatever it happens to be they get upgraded first. first yeah. However, um, the newspaper in its own article had already found somebody who confounds that view, a man called George Hobbicker, um, who in the interview said that uh, even uh, how you dress and act can give you the edge. And uh, he quotes an experience. Uh, he said that um, you know, British Airways United uh, do upgrade people um, you know, going down a list, but his experience um, is that when he was wearing a nice suit and tie and all the other passengers were, quote, looking like Richard Simmons, close quote, <laughs> he, nice. um, he got upgraded. Now, I didn't know who Richard Simmons was in my exhaustive preparation for this show, which I won't be repeating. I won't be invited on again, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, but, it's about um, the same level of prep I do, I dare say, anyway. <laughs> so I, go I googled Richard Simmons. And I'm going to tell your audience now not to do that, okay. which means, of course, they will. Right, okay. And I'm not going to accept any liability <laughs> that happens next. Okay. Right, well, we'll wait for the chat room to light oh. up with terrifying stories any moment then. But well, just, a, just a photo of Richard Simmons will probably um, explain a lot. Right, I, I don't know if I dare do that. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. Can you, no, can, no. Do, you, do, you remember, do you remember Richard Simmons? No, I don't. He, no. Um, he, used, he was kind of in the, in the kind of 80s kind of thing. He was like a fitness instructor. Oh. He had, he had massive curly hair. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. Really big curly I, I'm hair. I'm reaching for the word zany. Right, you know, okay. I really oh, know what like it means. But I assume you guys are heavily insured for liable. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Up to about 10 million. We're all right. But he was, he was, one, of these, he was one of these incredibly enthusiastic... Right. Uh, Is he a bit like Mr. Motivator? Yeah. Like yes, TVA, yes, that yeah. comes through. That comes yeah. through in the yeah. photos. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. Right. Anyway, I mean, I must say, actually, going go back slightly to this story, I hate to be boring and all that, but uh, they, they were, I know quite often, it's like this whole, I, I do, I, I kind of agree with, with what Howard's saying here. It does seem to be very much an urban myth because certainly my experience of trying to get an upgrade, because you've got this bidding system now, haven't you? Yeah, you a lot want of airlines to, do. Yeah. You know, it's, oh, yes, it's, yes. No, it's, yeah. it's uh, you, you can sort of bid to, to have upgrades and stuff. And so, mm. and a lot of people do that. And it does mean you can get a bargain like upgrade, but, you know, they, they don't really give these things away anymore. Not like they used to, do they? But I do think it helps if you do look smart. I've always think, yeah, maintained I mean, they're, that. They're not going to put someone who's in yeah. sort of scummy jeans and T-shirt <laughs> in, in first class, are they? I mean, it, it brings the back that. Do you remember Does that? that mean I can't um, wear the hat? No, yeah, no. Oh, <laughs> my God, he took his hat off. <laughs> Whoa, everyone. Uh, <laughs> my goodness. But, it, it, yeah, it's just, what, what, what was the name of that thing that they did based out of Stansted Air, Airport and you've got David Williams who was playing the first class oh, God, air yeah. steward thing. Anyway, it, it's got visions of that, mm. you know. It's like, can't have someone from Essex in there, for example. And things that you know, it's got, you've got to be from the home counties at least, otherwise, you don't get to go in first class. But exactly, uh, yes. Okay. So, we are going to move on to the last uh, story in the segment for this week, and uh, this one is uh, it's a top 10 because uh -huh. we do like a top 10 on the show, do we? Right, and this one is on the telegraph.co.uk website. And uh, the headline on this is, and which airline 
ha- was just voted the best in really? the world okay. for the fifth year running. Now, you've got to do it like Clarkson. It's got to be in the world. In the world. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so okay. we're, we're going to run down the top ten. Uh, Matt's going to play the music, and uh, I think uh, what we'll do is, is I'll, I'll start with ten, and okay. how, and we, me and Howard can uh, share it between yeah, us. Yeah, okay, I'll do, I'll do the usual then, shall I? So... Yeah. So we are at the top of the chart. It is number 10, Carlos. Uh, so at number 10, it is Japan Airlines. Right, okay. Howard, number nine for you, please. I haven't got the list. Oh, oh no. Oh, oh no. <laughs> I've only got my own stuff. Oh, oh no. Okay, well, we'll I'll, I'll do this bit then. Yeah, okay. So number yeah. nine, it is. Number nine is Cathay Pacific. Uh, it's, a, it's a new climber at number eight. Uh, number eight is Korean Air. Uh, staying still, number seven. Uh, number seven, it's Al Nippon Airways. Al Nippon Airways. Is that, that's very appropriate for this time of year when it is a bit nippy. Nippy <laughs> outside. Uh, for number six. Number six, it's very posh. It's Etihad Airways. Air, very nice, very nice. It's it's uh, middle for diddle. It's number five. Number five, it's the airline I'm flying with next Thursday. It's Virgin oh, Atlantic. you. Uh, and I would much rather be flying with number four. And uh, number four is Virgin Australia. Australia. Yeah. Good day, mate. Not off. Uh, number three. <laughs> number three, it's Singapore Airlines. Okay. Uh, it's it's uh, it's a new entry at number two. Number two, this is going to please Steve and Grant McCarran. <laughs> it's Qantas. And top of the chart, it is number one. And at number one on the air rating or airline ratings.com website, it is Air New Zealand. Oh, Air New Zealand. No, yeah. I like that. Actually, I've, I'm surprised not to see a, a Malaysian Airways in there, actually, because I had a very good experience with them. I, yeah, a lot of people say yeah. Malaysian are really good, actually. But uh, Indeed. That's quite shocking, though. Air New Zealand and Qantas in the top five there, look. Yeah. That's good. Well, Mind you, at least Virgin are there at number five. That's, yeah, that's, that's good. that's true. Yeah. At least I know I'm flying with uh, a good uh, airline. Okay. Right. Okay. So what are we doing next then, Carlos? So, well, anyway, just, I, I haven't read the show quickly, notes, obviously. Just quickly on that story. <laughs> AirlineRatings.com right. use 13 criteria to create the rankings. Okay. Uh, they, In other words, they make it up. No, no. They examine <laughs> the safety record of oh, the carrier. Okay. Uh, the airlines must have a seven-star safety rating, okay. uh, as well as taking into account innovations in passenger comfort, passenger reviews, fleet age, and environmental credentials. Oh, they're good. They're good. Um, so, obviously, they look at all the different aspects of the flight's economy, seating, and the premium and stuff, and the business class, and all the bits and pieces that go together to make the airline the airline mm. and and yeah so there we go so uh, yeah it's good there we are very good i am okay. I, I think uh, neb's probably not going to listen anymore because uh, ba weren't in there no no they're not not, Sorry, even, not even in the list at all full stop uh, there we go. <laughs> oh, so dear. that is where we bring the commercial news segment to a close so coming up now on the show then uh we have got uh the segment that uh, Nev always produces for yep. us each week, the passenger experience segment. And um, I'm not quite sure what it's about this week because I didn't get any emails from No, Nev. you didn't. No, and, and uh, yes, I, I've forgotten the guy's name. I, I put it together and I forgot the guy's name. Oh. So this will be a lovely surprise for all of us then. <laughs> honestly, we do rehearse this, honestly, I promise. So sit back, <laughs> relax, and here is Nev's passenger experience segment for this week.
Hello, it's Nev here again with another passenger experience segment. Well, today I'm in Joe's Kitchen, which is a nice restaurant in Bermondsey, South East London, and I'm speaking with Mike Jones of Film and Video Umbrella. It's a regular haunt for Mike and I, and we often have many hours of technical discussions there. Mike is technical director of FVU, and his organisation commissions, curates, produces and presents artists' moving image works that are staged in collaboration with galleries and other cultural partners across the UK. We spoke about the flying that Mike does for leisure, and I began by asking him about his experiences on his last flight. Uh, no, if you're going to like this one because this is a Ryanair story. Um, this was a bit of leisure flying, going on holiday with my family, uh, so that's four, four adults, uh, London Stansted to Naples, going on holiday in Italy. And uh, beginning of the experience probably was maybe like two weeks before the actual flight and perhaps was a little bit of an indication of what might have been to come with Ryanair because a flight that we'd booked on to for I'm recalling now I think maybe like a 935 flight uh, got an email uh, saying that flight didn't exist anymore and you were then rebooked onto a 615 I think which was a little bit of an eye-opener um, so having got to Stansted for the now revised earlier flight and you get yourself there nice and early on time. And of course, lots of talk about uh, you know the amount of extra queuing going on. Uh, this was maybe a couple of months back, so there's a lot of stories about um, even more extra time needed at the airports. So we allowing ourselves uh, even more extra time. You then get there and then find that actually nothing is going to happen until 6:15. You can't actually even work out where to go and do your automated bag drop off check-in type procedure so you're all just standing around you might as well have stayed in bed for an extra hour but of course you wouldn't want to do that because you're going to be risking too much so the beginning of it wasn't so great um, in that respect all right once we got going into the usual uh, security and so on at Stansted all uh, actually pretty straightforward and fairly efficient uh, I always think the th great shame about Stansted Airport is that I recall when it was originally uh, designed and built, and I'm going to, is it Norman Foster, I think, as the designer of the airport? And I think the original idea was, uh, and the concept, if you like, was that you could stand on one side of the airport, you could see all the way through it out to the air side of the airport. And there was this idea of this extremely fluid travel experience where you were going through one side of the building you could clearly see where you were going and that you're heading out to airside and your flight and your escape into the skies and now there's a kind of shanty town of temporary walls and structures built inside the whole building obviously by necessity in terms of security and I guess all the additional capacity which they hadn't quite anticipated when it was originally built. So it's a bit of a shame really that uh, the building itself is just kind of like a lot of places, uh, seems to be a whole series of temporary structures all built inside the building, then a kind of curious um, series of uh, a bit of a rat's maze of um, uh, you know endless corridors and, and uh, turns left and right. And of course Ryanair, not much of a turning left experience going on there, pretty much the standard stuff. Haven't been on that airline so many times, but what I was struck by having uh, gone onto the plane eventually was I presume they must have worked out that by taking out 
or rather putting in a couple of extra rows, uh, they can make a little bit more money, but it certainly doesn't help with the, uh, the leg room and it's a rather claustrophobic experience. And what about Naples itself? What about the airport and, and what was that like uh, checking in and, and coming back? Well, it's quite a small airport, uh, which is quite nice. Um, and everything starts off well, although, again, I'd read a little bit online, people were giving some warnings about uh, how things were not necessarily particularly efficient in terms of the um, check-in procedures and security and so on and expect queuing and all that kind of thing. Uh, so, again, get along there nicely, uh, nice and early. Um, it all seemed to go pretty smoothly to start off with. I didn't really know what all the fuss was about. Uh, didn't think very much of that. Um, but then what became apparent is when you actually get closer to the getting on the planes part of it, uh, you, it's a bit like going down a funnel. So the amount of space that's allowed for passengers as you reach each of the gates is really quite tight. And also pretty confusing. So several of the gates are all really, really close to each other. So you get a backlog of queuing and you can't tell which queue you're in. And this actually causes, I mean, it's actually quite stressful because you genuinely think, am I actually queuing up in the right place? I can't see where I'm supposed to be going. And uh, in fact, what was going on was there was a Ryanair, there was a couple of uh, EasyJets, uh, EasyJet to Bristol, which I was quite surprised to see. Um, yeah, several kind of, um, you know, budget carrier flights, all leaving allegedly at rather similar times and everyone's been called to the gates at the same time you can't tell which queue you're supposed to be in so that combined with what now seems to be a fairly standard thing of uh, yes you can take on carry-on luggage but they've only got a certain amount of space for it so a whole load of people are then being asked to put their carry-on luggage to one side because it's got to go in the hold anyway uh, which I guess gets you a bit of freehold luggage if you wanted to play that game but it seemed to also contribute to the overall uh, delay that was going on. So this combination of this kind of funnel of queuing, confusion, doubt about which way you should be, um, and having to sort of actually, in a way, at the end, get your elbows out a little bit to try and find yourself into the right place. It wasn't a great experience in that regard. It also seemed to me that the um, scheduled departure time is really sort of just for guidance only. So I think the idea that you might even be just about sitting on the plane by the scheduled departure time seemed to be the, uh, just about the standard that uh, seemed to be aimed at. And um, no one seemed to be that bothered by that. There seemed to be a general sort of shrug of shoulders and... Uh, kind of relief that you got on the plane in the first place. Uh, flying itself, um, flight time and everything like that, couldn't fault that really, uh, it all, all seemed pretty good. But the experience leading up to it, not a great one. And particularly when you've come off the end of, uh, as I say in this case, uh, you know, it was for leisure, it was a holiday, you know, you're feeling fairly relaxed and happy about having spent some time in Italy and enjoying the food and the scenery and the sunshine. And it's not the best ending to your holiday and your way back into the UK. You can see why, though, that is a, a popular uh, service uh, that Ryanair offer because, you know, you've got four people going with you, I guess, in, in your case, taking the whole family. Um, you, you know, trying to do that on British Airways from Gatwick or something, that's a different order of magnitude in, in terms of cost, isn't it? Well, that's quite right, and, and, and in a way, that's what determined the choice to go with Ryanair. In fact, there didn't seem to be that much choice about airlines that you could uh, go on to 
Naples. Uh, we did actually look at a couple of other nearby airports to where we were going, but that wasn't an option either. So, uh, yeah, if you're, uh, you know, if you, you're dipping in your own pocket and, you know, four adults traveling together, yes, absolutely right. You've got to make those sorts of choices. And I guess at the end of the day, you probably say, okay, well, I have to put up with this in order to get to that, you know. So, um, but having said that, some of the things that were happening certainly at the Naples airport end of things I thought could have been quite easily solved just a bit better communication a little bit more clearer signage and perhaps slightly more staggered uh, times for departure all of that could have solved that problem whereas what you'd actually got was a lot of people really not knowing what was going on being pretty confused getting quite stressed out and you know that's not good because then people start actually having a bit of a go at each other which is not necessary at all uh, but you can see how that sort of thing can happen the usual thing you know limited number of staff to be found um, and it but it seemed to be the normal there and I think it's a bit unfortunate really and it seemed to be something you could quite easily solve very interesting Mike great speech about it thanks ever so much indeed thanks very much Nev Thank you, Nev, for that. As always, fantastic to hear from you and uh, obviously your your guest for that segment. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. and of course, Ryanair, it's it's uh, it's quite <coughs> often a hot topic. <laughs> it is very much a hot topic, isn't it, about uh, airlines and, and, and things. It's... Uh, uh, they're not re- I know I keep saying this, but they are just the buses of the skies, aren't they? They're, they're, mm. You know, you, you you do get what you pay for. And when sometimes, I mean, when you think me and Owen went to Toulouse, and we went to Toulouse and back for basically a tenner each way, you know, I mean, really, yeah. th- we should have been grateful we had seats, you know, and weren't. You so didn't stand <laughs> it. No, we didn't stand. Oh, okay, no, but no. they weren't wing seats. No, they weren't wing seats. Oh, no, okay. Okay. <laughs> no, indeed. But uh, I, d- I don't know. I mean, as I say, uh, Howard, you you were saying that you have you've been lucky enough that you haven't had much Ryanair experience. <laughs> no, just just it's just how it works out, isn't it? Really, mm. um, you know, EasyJet. I was reading something in the paper this week about a guy who I think was going from Edinburgh to London, maybe mm. wrong, maybe Manchester. And it was cheaper to fly to Berlin and Warsaw and then mm. London than go on the train. Yeah. Uh, and that, that, that story in, in different forms has been around before. It has. I, mean, I remember a local local story, actually. They, uh, there was a girl here in the UK that wanted to do a uh, to go to a, a meet-up, you know, and it was the same thing. It was actually cheaper for her to go. Uh, I think the meet-up was in Scotland or something silly, and she was down in Southampton, and it was cheaper to fly to, to Berlin and then go to Scotland or something like that. Yeah. I mean, it's just yeah. than yeah. to actually go, you know, direct on the train, which is just ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, it's just crazy, isn't it? Anyway, yes. So uh, we have got, for coming up next, we've got a short video that uh, Owen sent in to us, um, yeah. which is great. It's Because uh, Owen is uh, he's in the US at the he's moment. He's in the US at He's going to be meeting yes. up with Matt Absolutely. in a few days' time. Mm. Uh, but Owen sent us in a video, so we're going to play Owen's video, and then yep. straight after that we're going to play an awesome little segment that uh, has been sent in to us from, from Micah. Micah. Yes, uh, while we're playing these next two p- pieces, uh, by the way, guys, do please get your questions into the chat room uh, yeah, for get your questions ready we're going to have a, a chat with Howard very shortly. So if you've got any questions you want answering about the great videos that he's made, um, obviously now is your chance to ask the, the main man directly. So so uh, get them into the chat room and uh, we'll be doing all that after this. Hey guys, it's Owen here. I'm in the 51st and Green. It's the uh, 
fantastic new lounge in Dublin Airport. That's not new, it's probably about two years old at this stage, but this is the lounge that you get to go to if you are heading to the States. The interesting thing about this lounge is that it's uh, actually, well, legally, in the United States, and I'm sitting here right in Dublin Airport, and uh, I'm sitting here right at the threshold of the runway, runway 10028. You can see um, some traffic landing behind me just there. And yeah, absolutely fantastic lounge. I'm on my way to New York. Uh, I flew from Heathrow this morning, um, from Heathrow to Dublin VA, and then I will be going on to Newark. Uh, today with Aer Lingus. So, uh, yeah, just spending the uh, time here in Dublin to get all of the immigration and border control and customs done. So, just a, a little quick update as to what I'm doing and uh, what this place is like. Uh, absolutely fantastic lounge and uh, great for the Abbeats as well. You're right in the heart of the action, right up beside the ramp, up beside all of the aircraft out here. Really, really, really great lounge. So I'll probably talk to you uh, more when I get into New York, but uh, from me for the moment, bye. See, now the thing that's fascinating about that is the fact that for some reason, when you're in Dublin, you can actually do all your immigration for the US. There. there. Yeah. So you can do it in Dublin. So when you've arrived at the other end, that's it. You, you, you can walk straight out. And now, I didn't know that there were sort of extensions of border controls, if you like, like for, for the States, mm. for oh, example. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In Dublin. This, this is brand new and shiny information to me. I didn't know that, that, was, that was a thing. I know. It's amazing, isn't it? It's good. Is there any other places that, um, the peop that people can, can do that? I mean... I don't know, actually. Yeah, I, I've I heard of that before. That's Howard knows. Yeah. There's, uh, it saves you two hours uh, when you get to the States by checking in in Dublin. And there was a, a piece in the paper last week, uh, I can't remember which regional airport it is, it might be South End or something or other, which has got now a new route to Dublin. Uh, and the, the marketing pitch is that you go from there to New York um, and you're check, checked in in Dublin as your, your guy was there. Uh, and you're technically stateside before you leave. This is the thing. So he, he was basically sitting in that departure lounge um, in in Dublin Airport, and he was basically stateside. You know, yeah. so from that yeah. point onwards, Legally. he he's, Legally, he's yeah. treated as a as a sort of you know a, a, a well, you know, he's already arrived if you like the other end. I mean, that's well, it's another version of being in transit, isn't yeah. it? You know, you, you go into Hong Kong and you're going on to mm. Australia or something like that, and you're you're in Hong Kong, but actually you're not. <laughs> you're yeah, in some kind of limbo. In fact, actually, Liz, Liz in the chat room here is saying that uh, that's the same thing in Toronto and most large uh, airports in Canada. Uh, she's saying we have U.S. customs and border control here, and we clear them before we fly to the U.S. Saves a lot of time at the other end, which is just uh, is yeah. And uh, Graham Haley is saying Shannon in Ireland, I believe, Matt. There is a BA a BA A three A three nineteen from London City, uh, and you do immigration uh, while it refuels, which uh, mm. I, it's just it's just fascinating. I, I I genuinely had no idea that that. Was 
was a thing. Uh, interestingly enough, by the way, also, please, uh, that was a classic example of how easy it is to send us your video feedback. Very easy. That was recorded on an iPhone. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah all right. Oh, don't, don't, don't be horrible. Uh, it was recorded on an iPhone, and, and he literally just did it using the microphone in the phone, and he just sent it straight to me. So, look, guys, you've got no excuse to, to send your feedback Not to, to send, us. Yeah. It really is that easy. Yeah. You just grab your phone. You can do it all with that nowadays. So, uh, everybody else, get to it. Do it now. Do it now. So <laughs> we've got one last little segment to play then before we have our chat with Howard. Yep. And this one, it was sent in by someone everyone in the aviation podcast community <laughs> will know. It's the voice, uh, oh well, it's the voice of, of storytelling, really. Well, it is, yes, and, absolutely. Um, so get comfortable, everyone. Get comfortable, <laughs> put your, put your uh, slippers on, get yes, your, uh, get your yes. glass of hot cocoa ready, because yes, we have got a lovely little segment here which has been sent in by the awesome Micah. Happy birthday, Nev, in three, two, one. He's a problem solver. Got an analog audio glitch? He can fix it. Digital overtones haunting your production? He's the spook chaser. Computer acting up? He's the uncle virus to everyone else's antivirus. Digital artifacts coming from nowhere on your video screen? He removes them. Need your Ron Jeremy collection transferred from Betamax to Blu-ray? He's your man. Yes, Neville Bounds the devil of a genius. And not just with technology, what we call NevTech. It seems Neville can solve any problem. Need to coordinate an international meetup of a bunch of aviation fiends on any continent? Neville Bounds is your man. I've seen him do it on two different continents. In fact, that's how we met. Okay, before I go on, let me tell you a secret. I love to travel. Okay, so you're saying that's no secret. I know you love to travel. Why wouldn't you? Well, that's not the secret, although it's part of it. The secret? Well, I don't think I'm a good traveler. Not eastbound, anyway, over long distances. I just don't handle jet lag well. And as I, well, shall we say mature, it hasn't gotten better. Neville knows how to handle jet lag. I mean, he's brilliant, but I told you that already. I learned about Nev's brilliance way before we met. We got to know one another six or more months before we met in person through the Airline Pilot Guy podcast, a place from where I've been fortunate enough to make many friends. I think Nev and I first really got to know one another when we sat in together on an APG After Dark show one night on Google Hangouts. I think it was that APG After Dark when together with Carlos we had the opportunity to play with Myla in her pajamas. Talk about a bonding experience. Oh, and to be clear, Myla was wearing her pajamas, not us. To further clarify, let me explain that our magical Myla, being the classy girl she is, was in lovely flannel pajamas perfectly ladylike and delightful as always. The play was just our usual wordplay. I don't want to give that poor sweet girl an undeserved reputation and frankly I have no idea why she would choose to hang out with we ruffians anyway. But that was the beginning. After that Nev and I communicated via email, talked on Skype and just got to know one another. I learned of his audio genius, that he's a soul man in a techno world a man whose gleaming digital essence is filled with a big analog heart. Neville Bounds is a first-class guy in every sense, not just when flying BA. As I mentioned before, Nev helped to organize much of the Farnborough 2016 meetup. That included transportation, too. Among many other things, he arranged to pick me and Brian up at Heathrow and take us to the Holiday Inn Farnborough. That was the first time he and I really met. 
I can't imagine what he thought of me when we first met in person. He probably said to himself, what have I gotten myself into? Well, let me explain why. I flew across the pond on United on a typical July afternoon. Here in the Northeast USA, summer afternoons mean convective weather, and convective weather almost always means an ATC ground stop. My connection was through Newark, and you can almost always count on a ground hold there on summer afternoons. My flight out of Portland was at 1800, and I planned to be at the Portland Jetport by 1500. Then the conflicting messages from United started arriving. My flight was delayed. My flight was changed. My flight was canceled. I was connecting through Dulles. The messages kept coming in, one after the other, and kept changing. I couldn't get a straight answer. No one could. Brian tried at the LAX United Club. Cranky concierge couldn't find out anything. And the United phone support? Well, no surprise there. At the airport, there was a long line at the check-in counter. All flights were canceled. I was queued up in front of a brand new check-in agent who just didn't know what to do. I heard her dealing with the people in front of me and knew she was giving them wrong information. But I also knew enough not to say anything. When it was my turn, I told her how sorry I felt for her, disappointing so many people she must feel awful. That's when I gave her a box of chocolates and told her I hoped these would let her know that I appreciated her hard work. She smiled and thanked me, then looked over my records and told me there was nothing she could do. Again, I knew she was wrong, but this time I spoke up, as I knew there were other options. You see, at this point, I saw that one flight to EWR had been cleared and was scheduled to leave in 20 minutes. When she said she couldn't get me on it, I said I understood, but wondered if there was anyone else who might have more authority. She told me her boss was at lunch, but as she spoke those words, her boss came through the door behind the counter. There was still a long line behind me, and when the boss asked what was going on, I pulled out another box of chocolates. I told her, since she was just getting back from lunch, that she must need dessert. Plus, based on the line behind me, it seems she might have a long afternoon ahead of her. She gave me a big smile and looked at my records on screen. Yes, your flight is canceled, she said. But the earlier plane that was delayed will now arrive at the same time as your scheduled flight. Let's get you on it. Although my problem was solved, I have to say I was frazzled. My new flight, originally scheduled to depart at 13.30, didn't end up leaving until around 19.30, an hour and a half later than my original flight. That meant connections became tight with the terminal changes at EWR, but they were still possible. Needless to say, I made the tight connection. So did my bag for that matter. Thank you, United. Now on the 767 to LHR, I did get moved around a bit by a flight attendant. I was in Economy Plus, and chocolates given to a flight attendant can really work magic. She brought me champagne and moved me to a row by myself. But even with that luxury, I couldn't sleep. I may have closed my eyes for 20 minutes and arrived at LHR at 10 a.m., but my body clock was at 0500. I was exhausted. Between the earlier stress of almost missing the flight, the close connection and my jog to change terminals at EWR, not sleeping having been awake all night, I was just feeling a bit lost migrating towards the immigration lines and the massiveness of T2. Let's face it, at this point I was beyond frazzled. I was fried. Adding to my confused state, all of a sudden coming from somewhere behind me I heard my name being shouted. At this point I figured I was hallucinating. And that was before the crazy side of my mind kicked in. What have I done? Have I been caught? I mean, I know that the paranoids have been after me for a long time, but have they finally found me? Do I need a new tinfoil hat? 
I told you, I was fried. It turned out that Fred Sampson had landed just behind me on his flight from SFO. I mean, I had heard that one never knows where you might run into Fred, but this was just amazing. I was overwhelmed, and still, just fried. Fred and I passed through immigration together. He took off to get his rental car, and I sat down to gather myself and figure out where I was going to meet Nev. Now I swear that among his other many talents, Neville Bounds is a mind reader. The moment I took out my phone, it rang. It was Nev calling to give me easy directions to find him. I walked out and met Neville Bounds for the very first time in real life. He was the first of what I call my new old friends. If you've experienced it, you know exactly what I mean. When Nev and I met, it felt like we'd known each other for many years. Nev could see I was fried. My guess is it came from his previous employment in hospital. Although not directly working with patients, he sure demonstrated patience with me. He walked me over to a cafe and fed me some coffee as we sat and talked while we waited for Brian's flight to arrive. For me, time passed quickly. I hope it did for Nev, too. The two-hour wait seemed like only 20 minutes. And during those two hours, Nev used his seemingly magic ability to fix almost any problem and managed to calm me down as my fried, jet-lagged brain seemed to settle into place. We met up with Brian and headed out to the parking garage where Nev's marvelous yellow Ford banana awaited us. I tried to get into the back seat as I thought I would fall asleep, but Brian claimed it first. This gave me my first experience being a passenger in the front left seat of a vehicle as Nev drove us the 30 miles to Farnborough. Good thing Nev managed to calm me down during the previous two hours. If he hadn't, my fingernail marks might still be in the dashboard. Bear in mind, Nev's a great driver. I'd just never been a passenger in the front seat of an automobile in the UK. To me, everything was flowing in the wrong direction. We arrived at the hotel and Brian and I checked in. Nev said he would wait in the bar until it was time for us to go to dinner and Brian chose to head right over to the air show and do some advance work. Although I knew it wasn't recommended, I decided to take a nap. I got to my room, unpacked a bit, took a shower and climbed into bed. About three hours later I woke up in a strange panic. Jet lag can do that to you, I've been told. I had no idea what time it was. I didn't even know where I was for that matter. It took me a minute to get things straight in my mind, but eventually I figured it out. I got up, took another shower, and even though it was early, headed down to the bar to meet Nev. I've got to say I was never so happy to see a familiar face. I told Nev about my strange experience of waking up in a confused daze, and he told me he had a great afternoon. He had worked on some projects and managed to squeeze in a walk down to a local pub and meet Stuart Aslett for a pint. As usual, Nev used his great problem-solving skills and once again calmed me down and got me off to a great start of what turned out to be one of the best experiences in my life. It may have been only five days, but I made some lifetime friends, and Nev was a first. So happy birthday, Neville Bounds. Thanks for the magic of Farnborough, for the magic of Pittsburgh, too, for that matter. Thanks for being more than an industry colleague. Thanks for being my friend. Thanks for being a part of Plain Talking UK and helping to shape what was always a great podcast into something even better. Now before I close this out, I need to point out one more thing. I hope you noticed that I didn't say that Nev was the best part of the PTUK podcast. I mean, he comes close, but PTUK is a group effort with Matt and Carlos making magic and Nev adding to it. But the best part of PTUK is none of those guys. The best part of PTUK is Gemma, when she becomes an inadvertent part of the show. And it turns out, it's Gemma's birthday too. 
So happy birthday, Gemma. You must be thrilled to finally be old enough to have your first legal cocktail. Carlos, get that girl a nice bottle of wine. All the best to you. For Plain Talking UK, here in Portland, Maine, in the USA, this is your main man, Michael. Find this and other great shows at the Aviation Media Network. The Voices in Your Head.com. The Plane Talking UK podcast is a voluntary project that aims to keep you informed with the latest aviation-related stories from newswires across the globe. Producing our content does cost money, though. If you enjoy our show, why not help us keep on the air by making a donation towards the server and website hosting fees through PayPal. Any contributions would be greatly appreciated. Are you an Amazon user? If so, why not do your shopping through the link on our website? There's no cost to yourself, and Amazon pays us a small referral fee on qualifying purchases. To find out more about the show and to meet the team, take yourself to our website www.plaintalkinguk.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash plaintalkinguk on Twitter via at plaintalkinguk or get in touch via email on podcast at plaintalkinguk.com Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening. Flyby 5823 Trent Dane for 2-3 Manchester with Air 6X Client Flight Level 210 Direct to Britain's Park United, one, two, three, maintain two, eight, zero knots. London, two, TME, turn right onto Bravo, link, two, one, join, alpha, hold at Mora, speedbird, four, seven, two, LOC, slash, TME, approach runway, two, seven, left. Follow the green stand, five, four, four. That's enough air traffic control for today, Nat. Bedtime. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to fly a commercial passenger jet? Looked up at the sky and thought, I wish that was me? Well, now anyone has the chance to have a go at flying in a real aircraft simulator. NP Simulations and Flight Experience London, the only official Boeing-licensed product of its kind in the UK, offer you the chance to fly anywhere in the world in their fixed-base Boeing 737-800 Flight Simulator. And that's not all. Ground School London offers many different courses for the up-and-coming pilot looking for a start in aviation. With prices starting at just £109, the sky's the limit. So for the ultimate flight simulator experience or engaging preparatory courses, including those for schools and colleges, check out the websites at www.london.flightexperience.co.uk and www.groundschoollondon.com or call on 020 300 40 616. NP Simulations. Fly your dreams. Ah, it's always nice to hear from Micah. It is. Isn't it? The legend that is, yes. Uncle Micah. Uncle Micah, yeah. Absolutely. Uncle Micah. Well done. Thanks for that, Micah. Yeah, very very kind of you, and I'm sure Nev will hear it when when um, when he catches up. He will. Uh, he will be marking my performance today, obviously for technical prowess, etc. Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's what he does. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, right. Great news, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Howard has been very patient. Bless he him. has been very and patient. It is time to have a nice chat about him. So. Uh, Basically, Howard. So it, it's it's uh, it's a rather fascinating range of sort of DVDs and things. But I mean, how did it all start? What was the uh, the, the catalyst? The, the catalyst, the passion, yeah. if you like. I mean, is it just a keen love of aviation and and that? I mean, how, how did it happen? Um, well, my 
My love of aviation started when my next door neighbours took me to London Airport. It wasn't called Heathrow then, <laughs> uh, in 1960. So we're talking Viscounts and Constellations and that kind of thing. Um, so I was I was sort of hooked from there. Uh, as far as videoing goes, uh, um, well, for a start, my wife will tell you that I'm absolutely hopeless at taking still photographs. Uh, <laughs> just no point. She's very good. She's got an excellent camera, and she's she's very good at that. But I've always someone. I went to a wedding, and someone said, "Oh, so this guy was supposed to do a film at the wedding. He's not turned up. Here's here's a camera. Can you never go?" And I think there's a kind of instinctive thing if you do it reasonably well where you're not just using the camera as a pair of eyes, you're yeah. filming to produce something that people will look at rather yeah. than just a record of what you're seeing, if that makes any sense. It does, it yeah. Pro it, it probably doesn't, but anyway. Um, and um, uh, so I, I kind of got that um, from, from the off. And... Um, I was, we went to uh, Paraguay and I filmed, um, just because they were there, some wood-burning steam engines. And I was in a transport bookshop somewhere and there was a book on the counter with a picture of one of these engines. And my, uh, my wife said to the guy behind the counter, uh, oh, Howard's got video of that, but he's really more interested in filming airliners because I'd been up to Heathrow with this horrible video camera that sounded like a cement mixer <laughs> when it uh, changed focus and yeah. so on. And uh, he's, he took a video off the shelf and he said, well, I have that. Um, if yours is as good as that, come back. Uh, and I looked at it and, I, I, again, I'd always edited my stuff together. Yeah. Um, and I went back and said, yeah, I think it is. This is what I've done. And he put me in touch with, uh, in those days, uh, you had to go to a TV studio. Um, and if you wanted a mix between two shots, it was almost like they got a man out with a brown coat on and you pulled two brass and mahogany levers and, yeah. and you got a mix. Whereas these days, it's all digital. And it you, is. You know, you and because, I mean, ne um, Neville tells yeah. stories of, of how it was always done uh, magically with, uh, you know, he used to use like reel-to-reel -reel tape machines sort of editing things and putting putting them all together like yeah. that. I mean, it, it's really quite frightening in such a short period of time how the technology has changed so massively. I mean, you think, as an example, I mean, this 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 that we're doing the show with right now is basically sure. just a glorified PC. It's got a piece of very sophisticated software on it, and it can turn webcams literally into you know stuff that people used to pay hundreds of thousands of pounds for. You know, in, in a professional studio, it, it, it's it's amazing how things have changed now. Absolutely, uh, the uh, I was spending pretty much uh, what you'd have to pay now for a digital editing system every time I went to a TV studio yeah. for the man in the brown coat. Mm. Um, and if there was a dropout in the final version, they always said it was on my camera tape. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure it wasn't. But um, so th that's how I got started. And this was uh, just getting on for 25 years ago now. So we're, we're talking early 1990s when things were getting tight in terms of airport security, but not impossible. You could go to places like Zurich um, and get airside uh, to, wow. to film there. Um, and uh, also you could get permission to film in uh, the great spectator terraces of Frankfurt and so on. Um, and filming airside or being airside, doing anything, is one of those jobs where if you haven't got experience, you can't do it. And, and if you can't do it, you don't get the experience. So you have to kind of break that catch-22. But 
um, I, I was able to, to do that. And you could still, um, you know, once you'd got some experience, um, I did things like talk to Virgin Atlantic about flying on the, uh, the flight deck of one of their A340s going into Kai Tak. Um, and uh, I, um, I did a, a training uh, video for the government flying service out there, uh, which involved flying a helicopter out to uh, one of the out islands from Hong Kong uh, and use their base to film their side uh, and so on. So, um, and this, that shot there, that Air India um, 747, that's filmed their side at Heathrow because I made a, a video for their visitor centre using oh, my historic material. So we did a mutually scratching each other's backs and uh, I didn't charge them, they didn't charge me. Fantastic. So so about the DVDs and Howard, you know, you've, you've got some absolutely fantastic footage and, and some you know amazing shots of some airliners that are no longer, and airlines as well, that are no longer in service. What does it take absolutely. to find all these pieces of video? You know, is it kind of through word of mouth or do you... Uh, do people donate the film footage to you? Well, on each DVD, um, in addition to a menu, so you can select various elements of the program, uh, we normally have a trailer, although there isn't one on the TriStar DVD, um, but uh, <laughs> we have a section on We Want Your Cinefilm, and there's a little demonstration of what we can do with Cinefilm. Um, We've had some fantastic material that's come from aviation enthusiasts, and that's really the ideal source, because they were interested in the unusual stuff. Mm. Um, and um, if, if you get that, that's brilliant. Uh, I do uh, have a daily trawl on eBay, uh, looking for stuff that people have got from house clearances and so on, and occasionally you get lucky. Um, what can I think of? Um, do you know what a Hanley Page HP-81 Hermes is? No. <laughs> it, it was a, a very horrible aircraft oh, um, right. that was a nosewheel version of Hastings, which was an even worse aircraft, and BOAC had to have about 20 of them, and they got rid of them quite quickly. So they're very rare, um, and um, I got some film that was just holiday film, someone going from Birmingham to Ireland, and they happen to film an air safaris Hermes taxiing in and so on. And it's only about a couple of minutes long. But it's just incredibly rare. It's in colour. In um, colour? Wow. And, well, all, all my stuff is in colour. Wow. Um, apart from I do have some 1952 material at Heathrow with Lancasters, <laughs> uh, Lancastrians and Yorks and a thing called a Languedoc, which was used by Air France. And that is in black and white. Um, but generally speaking, it's in colour, and um, a lot of it is so rare that I have a real problem in doing the, the covers for the DVDs because um, I can't find colour photographs of what's on the programme. Of course. So if you look at some of the, you, um, you've got a catalogue there, Carlos has got a catalogue. Um, some of the DVD covers are actually a montage of quite small pictures because they're still shots from the video because it's the only way only way that you can getting, get yeah i mean the tristyle one is that they're actually real photographs that somebody did but yeah. quite often uh, on the historic stuff um that i have to use that because that's all there is mm. um and um it, it's uh, 
you know, anyway, that that's where we. <laughs> so, I, I mean, don't want to on too much. I mean, you better tell me what you want to. So, you, you, we were talking yeah. earlier about, um, as you sent us some great uh, clips that I want to work our, our way through, if that's okay uh, sure. with you. Uh, one that, uh, of. of personal interest obviously you were saying how you're gathering these things and obviously you're buying things on ebay and people are sending you stuff and because yep. that means essentially you're doing uh, a lot of things with cinefilm obviously because that's yep. where a lot of this this historical footage is sure. coming through so um uh, i'm just going to play uh, a little clip that you sent if, if i may about about how you go about editing uh with cinefilm and uh, guys if you're listening yep. to the audio version of this show this is one of those rare occasions where actually it's worth um uh, watching uh, or, or looking us up on on YouTube because uh, these videos are absolutely brilliant. But uh, yeah, I'm just gonna play you this. This is this is uh, Howard's uh, basically describing to us how he goes about restoring a clip. This is really good from guys. Cinefilm. So yeah. th this is a, this is a must watch. Let's take a look at how I restore a clip originally shot on eight millimeter Cinefilm. It's running too fast, so I've now slowed it down. That's better, but ideally I need to get rid of that camera shake using a special video filter. Here you can see just how effective the anti-shake software is. Getting better, but the picture's too dark, so first I'll lower the mid-tones and then increase the black levels. I'll also adjust the chroma level slightly and sharpen the image. Now you can see the difference between the original and the upgraded version. Now I need to add sound, and this shot looks to be a good donor. By doing this, I can match the action of the Hawkins and Powers C-97 to that of the US Air Force One. Then I make the video transparent, and here's the finished result. You see, now that is absolutely to a geek like me. That amazing. is absolutely fascinating, absolutely amazing work. And I can't get over that. The thing that blows my mind so much is, as you said, and I suppose this is the advantage of sort of you know new digital filters that are available to to you. But uh, the way that you don't realise how stable that image or unstable that image is, if you like, the actual raw footage that that you've got to play with. I mean, it's it's just uh, uh, amazing. I mean, just sort of walk us through. Um, yeah, you know, from start to finish, Howard. How long? does it take when you, you you get the initial idea you know you're going to pick a certain aircraft i'm going to do a dvd on this aircraft so from start to finish you know when the dvd is released how, how, how what sort of time scale well first of all you can't necessarily decide i'm going to make a program about this aircraft now i did when i worked with some british aerospace uh, film archive uh, i made two programs on the vac 111 and one on the vc 10 so we knew yeah okay that's what we're doing but um when you're working with vintage cinefilm that's coming from you know, a variety of sources you can't say oh i haven't got that i'll go and film it um you are totally limited by the amount of material you've got um and it's interesting if you watch some programs on tv uh, historical stuff uh, there was one on about the queen's wedding the other day mm. And that was an, an hour program with adverts, and they actually, I don't think, had more than six or eight minutes really? of cinefilm in that. Um, they're repeating stuff. I, I never repeat 
uh, shots um, in, in my programs. I don't tell you what I'm going to do and then do it and then tell you what I just did, uh, <laughs> which is <laughs> the way they do it on TV. Yeah. Um, so you, you're kind of stuck. Um, and that's one of the reasons that I produce my classic airliner collection DVDs. I've got two of those and I'm working on a third one now. And they are a kind of magazine format where you may just get, like, like I was saying about the Hermes just now, um, you know, there's no story there other than an incredibly rare aircraft and an awful airline um, run by some mad Polish guy um, <laughs> who, who ran several airlines. And, and, and it was this real buccaneering uh, era. Um, and, um, you know, people want to see that. Um, I have a tremendous problem with Hermes because they have Centaurus engines and I don't have any Centaurus sound but I would use a sleeve valve engine like the Hercules uh, to, to get the closest I can to that. Um, but everything else, if you're seeing a DC-4, it's got DC-4 sound, not DC-6. So, um, and uh, because, I, well, actually, in all seriousness, I think that if you're working with historic material and you're putting it into a format that is going to survive going forward, mm. then you have a responsibility to get that accurate. Indeed, indeed. Be because in, in 20 years' time, someone will look at that and they will think that's how it sounded, yeah. that's how it looked. And if you cheated, well, you're, you're actually confusing you know, future historians. Yeah. Um, that sounds a bit sort of sad. Not really, at all. No, sad. not at all. But I mean, we yeah. often we often go on yeah. about um, accuracy in stories and things. It is such a big <laughs> yeah. problem, and it's one of Nev's pets hate. So we're, we're, I'm just going to take a, a question from the chat room here, actually, uh, on on the subject basically of what you were talking about there. That and uh, that was just, this is from uh, Tony S, and he's saying a question for Howard: Is there any DVD that you've wanted to produce but have been unable to get decent footage of? Is there there's something in your collection that you'd love to have sort of put together uh i i would i mean if, if you were really able to wave a magic wand um i would love to be able to go back to the mid 50s to early 60s and have a really good look at british independent airlines uh, there was so much variety um in, in terms of aircraft airlines you know they, they were popping up here going bankrupt the next months and so on uh it, it was an amazing time and um quite often when you you, you look at um film from then it's it, the aircraft okay that's what we're interested in but all the the stuff surrounding it the people the fact everyone used to dress up um i mean i have film of a, a really horrible uh invicta dc4 at manchester uh, and I think it must have been a Women's Institute outing going on this thing. And all the ladies are wearing massive hats as they get on this plane that you and I would never <laughs> travel on. It's trailing smoke and, and just, just awful. But people dressed up. Um, it was a different era. And, and I think that's fascinating too. But to go back to your question, how long does it take? If I'm producing um, an hour-long programme from scratch with Cinefilm, all of which is silent, um, it would take me two to three months to do that. My goodness, but that's that's not that's not solid work because I, I I have other things I do as well. But um, uh, it, it, it it can involve very long days, yeah, <laughs> and you can yeah. work for a couple of hours and to get twenty seconds of material right. Yes, uh, because if, if say you've got a Dakota landing, and you want Dakota sound, it's got to I, I can reverse the direction of the sound. That's not a problem, but um, aircraft touch down at different points on the runway, their, their relationship to the camera is different, or the, or the sound recording. Um, and and as 
you'll know if you think about it, the sound of an aircraft coming towards you is completely different from the sound of it departing. So when I'm synchronizing film, as we were showing in that clip just now, um, I'm, I'm trying to get the point at which the wing passes the camera uh, in sync because that will make the sound uh, accurate. Yeah, and, and it'll feel like it is actually from the original footage, essentially. Oh, oh sure, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I can take um, stereo uh, digital sound of, say, a C-97 hauling salmon in Alaska in the late 80s, early 90s, and match that to a BOAC Stratocruiser at Heathrow in 1955. Indeed. Actually, along those lines, uh, uh, Tony was asking again, so out of all the DVDs you, you've got, is there one out out, out there... Big seller. Think, What's your big? I think uh, a big seller. Obviously, the um, TriStar one. Is the yeah, well, actually, um, <laughs> you and your TriStar. Am, am I missing you? Or are you there? Yeah. Yes. Hello. Sorry, yeah, we're here. We yeah. Yeah, so uh, okay. basically, what's your um, best-selling DVD is, apart from is the, the TriStar Apart from the TriStar. <laughs> well, the TriStar is pretty, uh, pretty young. It's doing, it's doing reasonably well. Um, it's, uh, but the best-seller of all time uh, is probably my London Airport in the 60s and 70s program. Oh, yeah. Um, and that has just, uh, I can't remember now, it's probably um, 70 minutes, something like that. Uh, it's, and, and like all, all our DVDs, it's all colour. Um, and um, is the sort of Comet Caravel T104 uh, Viscount Vanguard era. We've got another one, which is uh, another airport in the 50s and 60s, which, although the 60s are covered in both of them, they all have completely unique material. Uh, and that starts slightly earlier with um, the odd Viking, York, uh, Stratocruisers, wow. Super Constellations, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, so that, that one, and the VC10 is very popular as well. We've, we've got a question from uh, Micah, our main man Micah, over at yeah. Portland in Maine in the US. He's asking, uh, have you done any work with the Bristol Brabazon? No. Um, and that's an interesting uh, question because uh, the footage of the Brabazon um, is very well known, quite limited, and owned by, in the main, newsreel companies. Now, someone suggested to me recently, a customer, I ought to try getting hold of some Pathé uh, footage. Oh, Pathé yeah, have got oh. quite a lot of footage on, on the web. You can watch it for nothing. Mm. But to use it commercially, they were going to charge me £700 a minute. Wow. To use that. <laughs> Goodness <laughs> me. I, I do pay for the, anyone who's got any film. I do pay, but I pay at the rate of about £500 an hour yeah. um, for the right to use it. Um and, and just on that, can I say, if, if, if you have Cinefilm, first of all, don't put those little yellow reels through a projector after 30 or 40 or 50 years because the film will be tightly wound and brittle and it could break. Yeah. Um, do send it to me. I don't care if I, if I watch lots of stuff that is never usable, as long as it is airliners. Um, and it's amazing what we can do, that film quite often will go will have a, a pink or red cast over the whole film and you'd think oh well that's you know we can't use that mm. but just by sampling the areas that would be white or black or whatever you can automatically re-register that color wow. and that then will change all the other colors back to what it should be goodness me so um it, it's, it's amazing what you can do uh, so please don't throw it away. No. Uh, and please, if there are aviation enthusiasts out there, 
who filmed an eight millimeter, 16 millimeter, whatever it happens to be. Um, and you want to see that restored with accurate sound, get your name on a DVD, get a free copy, get paid, please get in touch. Fantastic. Wow. And, and on, the, on that note, now, of, <laughs> yeah, not at all. No. On, on the note of uh, footage there, actually, uh, Richard King has just asked, he said, because you touched on it earlier, um, but he just said that uh, how do you source the old footage? You know, you said you, you get some, uh, or find some on eBay, but are there any yeah. other ways that you manage to find these these amazing well, um, Generally, it, it, it's, it's customers or, or people who you know, become aware of what I do um, who will get on to me. I had someone this week who um, has got some uh, Super Constellation and DC6 film, um, and he sent that to me, uh, and... Um, that that's very useful mm. uh in the same week i actually bought i think for about five quid on ebay um a holiday video it's real that someone had made because a still shot in it had a sabina combo 440 starting up oh wow and i thought right well if they filmed that they probably filmed a bit more and a bit after that and i mm. might get a bit out of it um but you're talking less than a minute by the time you, you you've done that so okay. we're kind of scratching around ebay's not really um, a very good source because the people selling the stuff don't really know what they've got, mm. um, and um, it, it, it you, you, the, the real goldmine is when you've got an enthusiast who's got a couple of hundred feet of film um, and, and knew what they were doing. Uh, but even if they didn't, as you can see, we can stabilise the mm. film, we can sharpen it, we can correct exposure errors that were made 50 years ago, um, and uh, this is just the beginning because artificial intelligence uh, is going to, is already people are working on, <clears throat> excuse me, being able to enhance film like that. And my personal view is that we'll see um, like eight millimeter film being transformed into something equivalent of at least standard video, if not high definition. Really? Um, That'd be amazing. Because, my goodness. because they will use computers to work out what the image should be. Should be, yeah, with the dots <laughs> yeah. and stuff. Wow. There we go. I, mean, I, I, already, <clears throat> excuse me, I already do that to a certain extent. I'm just going to put a bit of water here. Um, in that most 8mm cine runs at um, 16 or 18 frames a second yeah. but video here is 25, 25 frames yeah, it states yeah, it's 30 yeah. and so to get video running at the right speed and not have people look like Charlie Chaplin um, you have to create another 5 or 7 frames, frames a second yeah. now you used to do that by either repeating them which made it jerky mm. or you mixed the frame which made it blurred now the computer works out the difference between two frames and creates that frame. Um, and so you get a much smoother, much sharper image at the right speed. So, I mean, does that, I mean, I, I know from my own personal experience, like the, the, I mentioned, I use the word lot, the word rendering. Uh, anyone's ever done yeah. any videoing will know what I mean by that. And one of the things yeah. that takes the so much time, actually, is, is that, so when you're doing something like that, where it's basically having to work out missing frames, I mean, the rendering must take ages to do something like that no you don't render it at all really no wow. the computer works in real time um and it, it, you're quite right in the old days it, it, you'd render it mm. and then you think i need to change a frame and you'd have to re-render the whole thing again um it was absolute nightmare but um apart uh, if the computer slows down if you've got like three or four 
um, pieces of, of video and, and sound and a commentary and whatever, and it's kind of having a bad hair day with that clip, then yes, you can render it. And, you know, that takes a, 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 a very short time. But yeah. generally speaking, you can work on a timeline um, with things like speed adjustments and color correction and so on, and you don't have to render so, I mean, obviously, men mentioning, uh, you were saying about the different frame rates here, Mike has actually asked another question. So, presumably, with the difference between of uh, five frames again, so if you've got something that's sort of 15 or 16 frames a second, and you've got to convert it to the American system, obviously, which is NTSC, and um, uh, sort of 30 frames a second, I mean, presumably, it's that same process, is it, to, to sort of do the conversion uh, no, from it, UK it, to US? It, 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 well, not in the same way, no. Um, it, 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 it's a different process, but, but certainly, yes, you do have to convert. Um, and ideally, uh, you don't want to do that. So um, because my main market is in the UK, Europe, Australia, uh, and places like that, um, then uh, I work generally in PAL, mm -hmm. um, although some of the programs I've got, uh, the Japanese ones, the um, 707 Skyward program, that's in MTSC. The problem with the two formats is that although an NTSC DVD will play on a PAL machine in America, NTSC machines won't play like PAL, PAL DVDs. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah. you generally find in America that they have a different set of standards, different yeah. gallons, different measurements, whatever. <laughs> yeah. I'm, yeah. Not, I'm sure it's not good old old US, yeah. the land of the free. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> it, uh, it kind of works out that way. Yeah. So, so before got... before we get into before I get told off, we probably right. want to go back to aviation. I suppose. I know. <laughs> we're I'm around... finding this fascinating, but it's probably only me that's <laughs> loving yeah. this. This sort of geeky. So we've got um, yeah. we've got another piece of footage that Matt's going to play out in just a second, okay. uh, Howard. This is of the Alitalia, uh, the MD-11. Now, if you want to run us through this footage, Matt's going to play yeah, it. If, so, um, if I can kind of cue that up. Um, yeah, there we go. In, in, okay, before you start, are you starting it now? Or? Yeah, we'll, no, we'll start. Right, carry on. If you, no, if you can hold it. Yeah, we'll right. hold it, yeah. Come on. So where I am, I'm standing on the balcony of a block of residential flats. Um, I can see through a gap in another building a plane approaching, but I will have no time to start the camera when it comes around the corner to do the uh, right-hand turn onto the runway at Kaitak. So I have to guess where the plane's going to appear, right. start the camera, and as soon as the plane comes into shot, move the camera, hopefully in synchronization with the aircraft. Um, <laughs> and, uh, well, judge for yourself um, how it went, but do stay on to the end because the landing is... Um, Quite oh, something. Bet. Okay, so here we go. Look, so talk us through this. Right. Okay, the plane's coming. Here, here we go. Right, wow. I've got it, and it, that's pretty good. If you look at the the, 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 the way that we, we've got the, the plane's now too big, so we're moving onto the nose. We're going to allow that to track through the, the camera, so we get there, and we're going to hold on the tail while the plane angle changes, and now we've got the whole plane. Now wow. it's getting into some kind of crosswind <laughs> here and it's just going and going and going and oh you see goodness. the left hand main undercarriage leg hit the right hand um, edge of runway marking <gasps> the plane is only on the runway because it's going almost sideways 
that's just that's just crazy. Yeah. Oh, it reminds me of the A three eighty footage we had a few weeks back. Yeah, uh, the yeah, crosswind landing where it was there, a bit unpleasant. Yeah, absolutely. But is it, Kaitak, is that is that that's, that's closed now? Yeah, yeah that's Kaitak. right. Yeah, yeah. 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 Me, yeah. me and uh, me and Owen flew into oh, Kaitak did, you, in, the in the simulator. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. In a seven three seven. In a seven three seven eight hundred. Yeah, as you do. Yeah, I don't think it was quite as good a landing as that. But it was definitely as a landing. Yeah. People talk about, you know, you could look out the window and see into people's living rooms and so on. And then if you were flying Mandarin Airlines, you probably could. But um, it wasn't that close, but it was a, a, quite a, an amazing thing. And uh, I, I did go in there on the flight deck of A340, which was, was fun. But at the same time, there was a, a spare captain who was being very helpful and pointing things out to me. Right. So I'm trying to film a once well, not once in a lifetime, but a very rare opportunity with mm. somebody's finger that keeps getting into shot. Yeah. So I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> he's pointing things and, out and you. Thought, I just remembered, actually, that I'd, uh, I was in the jump seat and I I'd, I'd had to get out of the seat at some point and it was just when we were going to touch down I realised I hadn't strapped myself back in. Oh. <laughs> so I'm filming through the, the, wind, the windscreen um, and bracing myself with the sort of balls of my feet to keep my back in the seat for when we, we actually touch down and decelerate. Uh, but I managed to do that, and uh, this is the first time I've told the crew. So. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So we've got a question from the chat room again, uh, Howard, yeah. from, uh, from Mark Harvey. He's asking, have you done much with military aircraft? The only thing, uh, actually, one of the reasons I got into this was because I got so fed up with the fact that you cannot fly a Spitfire without an orchestra, according to the BBC, <laughs> which is not possible. Yeah. Um, and um, so I, 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 someone very kindly um, got me access to uh, Bournemouth Airport during the Bournemouth Air Show, and I made a, a, a DVD which is called Spitfires to 737s uh, on sale at the moment. Um, and... Um, that has the aircraft preparing for the show. So uh, my only, I've got, oh, I've got two things actually. Um, this one's got some, though I say it myself, uh, some lovely stuff of uh, Spitfires and Hurricane just starting up on the tarmac. I'm filming the whole startup process, taxiing out, taking off. Uh, we've got the red arrows coming by about 30 feet away. Uh, the Lancaster, if it was in that little clip you saw earlier on. Mm. Uh, that came from there. Uh, the other thing I did, I filmed the, uh, there was a 50s air show at Coventry, um, and that's got Spitfires, Mustangs, um, a Sabre, lovely shot of an Anson coming into land there. Um, but uh, air shows, uh, military air shows, or civil air shows for that matter, are um, very complex things to do. Uh, you need lots of people. Um, and there's quite a lot of competition to do that, mm. and it's it's not something that floats my boat as much as the uh, the civil side. Yeah, actually, in the chat room here, Richard Anderson is saying, "How true! BBC ruin everything with incessant music. Give me a Merlin engine any day." <laughs> yeah. One of the reasons is that when the cameramen go out without a separate sound recorders, they mm. don't have a wing gag on on their camera microphone. Of course, yeah. Uh, well, as far as I've seen, I mean, I. 
I used to use a fairly massive camera, which now, in fact, my phone has a better video definition than the camera. It shows how things have gone. But uh, one of the things was to have a massive, you know, fluffy um, uh, cover on the microphone. Mm. So yeah, the old windsock, as we noise. call them here. Yeah. Actually, yeah. on the question of uh, of quality, um, as in picture quality, Micah's uh, main man, Micah's, has said, uh, "Have you been able to clear things up to the point of HD or 4K resolution with any of the film that you get?" I presume this is where this um this whole sort of like artificial intelligence thing yeah. sort of comes in, really. Well, um, I think that will go. That's more about changing the image as opposed to the definition of the image. Um, I don't actually transfer the cine film to what is in effect a digital camera tape or these days a chip uh, that's done by a specialist company using a telecine machine which does does that transfer um, and they transfer it to high definition video wow. um, but having said that uh, the image itself when you're thinking what you're looking at is a piece of 50 year old plastic that is literally eight millimeters by eight millimeters that's got the image on it um, and so there are limitations at yeah. the moment as to the level of definition you can get. But obviously, the closer the image is to the camera, the better. Mm. Um, so, um, yeah, but the, it, it, I, I do uh, master in, in, in HD uh, because we um, produce DVDs at the moment. I haven't got into Blu-ray. Um, then um, you, you actually they convert that to, to uh, standard definition for um, for DVDs. But so, uh, yeah, so we, Richard, I work in HD. Richard Adams uh, is asking, um, and and these are a couple of my favourite um, piston or prop aircraft, as I call. Yeah. Uh, do you have any uh, Britain Norman Island uh, Islander or Trilander footage? No, <laughs> no one has ever asked me for that. Um, well, the Trilander is good because that's a three-engine prop. So. Oh, I see. Uh, yeah. I, I, uh, yeah, I did. The, there is some uh, I, on on one of the DVDs, but I wouldn't pretend that um, I, I've done any kind of great study of that. Um, light aircraft don't have the same appeal um, for for our, our customers as, as airliners. Um, and although the Trilander Trilander isn't by any definition a, a light aircraft, no. um, it, it's you know down that end of the scale a bit. Mm. Um, so uh, no. Uh, not really. What's, what was the other aircraft? So I do better with that. It one. was the. Uh, it was a three. It's got yeah. the the Islander and the Trilander. The the three. Yeah. It was kind of like the DC ten of the prop aircraft. How true. Had the yes. yeah. Had the um the end the third. See, the, the, the noise of a prop engine is is like nothing. It's, yeah. it's just there's something quite magical about that. It's a sort of like what I call sort of basics. Do you know what I mean with a prop engine? Yes. You know, yeah, never mind this absolutely. jet rubbish. <laughs> but you, I'll tell you, you get that with with jet engines. You know, if if you stand someone in in a in a field mm -hmm. and start up a Rolls Royce RB211 engine, um, I think pretty most at most aviation buffs would would know an, an RB211 engine on you know full yeah, power. That's true. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we're going to start to wrap things up now, Howard. Just a couple of questions left. Um, so the first one then is: um, Are there um, any? Uh, sort of special um i was gonna say special spoilers any uh, spoilers. any any dvds that uh, are in the process of being made any sort of uh, quick um hints as to well, what, what we can look forward I, to yeah I, I i just finished the the tristar um and uh if that uh goes continues to sell as well as it is at the moment i intend to do 
one or possibly two DVDs on the 747 Classic um, and also maybe one on the DC-10. Um, I, I would like a bit more cinefilm, please bring send it in, uh, but I'm about 80% of the way through a new Classic Airliner Collection DVD. That will be the third of those, yeah. uh, and I'm hoping we'll release that in the first quarter of next year. Awesome. So we have got another bit of footage to play yeah, out. absolutely. And uh, this is a, a, one of my other favourite aircraft because I flew on one of these many years ago as a child with Air Malta. And this is the Boeing 707. Uh, so if you want to watch this, this before is... Before you, before you do that, I've got a question for you. Okay, yeah, far on. away. What would you use to clean that engine you can see on the screen now uh, if it had some mild corrosion? Um... I'd say WD-40, but <laughs> yeah. maybe no. not that. Yeah, absolutely. No. You anyway. would fire crushed walnut shells at it. Really? Yep. Really? And on that note, no. I think we'll play we, the footage. We, we didn't actually do that, yeah. but we got as close as the guy with a, a container full of walnut shells, and for health and safety reasons, we couldn't work out how to because this is done out in a, <laughs> this is on Australian Air Force Air Base, yeah. um, they couldn't work out how to sort of tie him to something and get him close enough to the engine, which has to be running in order to fire the walnut shells through it. But if you think about a walnut shell, they're very hard, very sharp, and they burn. Yeah. Uh, so uh, you, you can... Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I don't a, know if you thought of that. T Tony S suggested that as it's very good at cleaning up two penny pieces, maybe maybe Coca Cola might be a good way of cleaning the Possibly, engine. Possibly, yeah. But, uh, I don't anyway, think we have a lot left. To is the um, first we engine run. We'll run, we'll run um, that VT. This is, this is from um, uh, 707 Skyway. There we go. Oh, listen to that noise. Let's just have, appreciate some of that noise. So just out of. Uh, just out of curiosity, there. What's the because yeah. um, obviously the cowling was off there. Was it was it being maintained at that point, or what had happened was the um, guy in, in in the UK was maintaining engines for uh, old 707s, including the wraps, and so he knew when they were going to sell it. They sold the engines from it, so when we went to pick it up, uh, it had no engines, and he right. took out some engines from uh, an ex MEA 707. I think it was 707, um, and hung them on this, and so they had to be flight tested, and then we flew back via the Maldives in Cairo. This is the landing into Cairo. Wow. Um, and um, that, that was, that DVD technically is the most advanced I, I've ever done, the, the editing. I look at it now, and I can't work out how I how I did various bits of it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, so I mean, presumably when you I mean when you're doing the the filming of these things, is it one camera and you just sort of do do On that one shot? shot I, I had another cameraman with me, um, and so uh, for example, there you you had me outside filming the engine startup, um, and then he was inside in the cockpit filming the the guys uh, filming the dials and and so on. So we then put that together and. And very difficult once they've started one engine to know which one they're starting next because well, it's so noisy. <laughs> yeah, I bet. And there are no props going around. This is not fair. Yeah, but, indeed. Uh, that was good fun. Good fun. 
So, yes, unfortunately, we've got to uh, wrap things up now, uh, okay. Howard, but uh, it's, it's been absolutely fantastic. I need you, please, to give yourself a yeah. massive plug. Give yourself so a tell massive me all plug. Tell me how they, how they can get onto your website, uh, how they can they, they get the brochures and things. Uh, just, just tell them a sure. bit about yourself and how, the, how they, uh, they get hold of your wonderful DVDs. Carlos is going to be your glamorous model with the uh, various <laughs> DVDs now. So here we go. <laughs> okay, well, the key thing is our website, which is www avionvideo.com so that's a-v-i-o-n video one word dot com you can order online you can pay with paypal you can pay with credit cards we send anywhere in the world uh, very very competitive rates uh, we send by airmail or first class post in the uk normally within 24 hours um, and each order will have a printed catalog like the one you've seen on the screen um, and but all the information's online and if you go to the website you can watch video clips from each dvd and normally about 30 or 40 still shots from the program seriously guys i mean carlos had the, the reason why howard is here is because <laughs> carlos has been a massive fan of howard's work for many many years and he nearly I, wet himself when I, his tristar <laughs> dvd arrived ladies and I, gentlemen. I was actually saying yeah. to howard yesterday yeah. on the phone i've <laughs> i've only watched this dvd four times only four i'm only amazed four. yeah um <laughs> Well, look, well, Howard, thank you so very much for, for giving up your evening to, to join no, us. That sure, is where, unfortunately, we have to bring the show to a close. If you want to get sure. in touch with our show, it is www.plaintalkinguk.com. It's facebook.com forward slash UK, And, of course, it's at Twitter. Uh, sorry, our Twitter handle is at plaintalkinguk. Uh, uh, and, of course, please do send in your audio, video, even textual feedback. We don't mind how you do it. Our email address for the show is podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. Yep, and that is where we're going to bring the show to a close. What we are going to say again, a massive, massive thanks to Howard for joining us tonight, yeah. Howard. It's been an absolute pleasure. A real honour. Thank you very much. To you. Yeah. And, no, um, thoroughly enjoyed it. And I can't express enough to all the yep. listeners of the show, whether it be on the yep. audio download version or on the live show that we're doing right now on yep. YouTube. You know, if you if you're into your commercial aviation, yeah. you love your old uh, yeah. old school heritage kind of you know the the older aircraft. You know, take yourselves over to uh, to Avion and check yeah. out some of the DVDs. Avionvideo.co.uk. A v i o n. dot com. Avionvideo.com. What did I say? Did you I say said dot Did I? I'm so yeah. sorry. I'm Honestly, looking, I've got Matt. it right in front of me, and I still got it. Right. Oh yes. Yeah, so take yourselves <laughs> over to Avionvideo.com, and uh, there's uh, a whole list on the website there which yeah. you'll be able to see, including the TriStar Memories DVD. Indeed. So that's it, guys. That's where we bring episode 189 to Thanks, everyone in the chat room Thanks for joining us. Thanks to everyone for joining us. And we'll see you all uh, next week for... Uh, we don't quite know where, We don't know when it's going to be, we so watch know. social media feeds, basically, because <laughs> me and Carlos are at different ends of the world, so we have no idea. Oh, but uh, watch the social media feeds for when our show will be very, next week. But from all of us here in the studio and around the world, take care, everybody. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye.